and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 17. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside uh, Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh Legary just recently home from the road after nearly two weeks in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah, you sound tired. Thanks. You do. <laughs> there was no howling. But I understand you spent some time in Forks. <laughs> I, I did go drive up through Forks, yeah. Anyway, do you want to talk about nope, toilet? Nope, nope. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, Josh was up there for uh, TwyCon or something, right? <laughs> uh, just kidding. Anyway, in just a few minutes, we're going to kick off episode 17 with our discussion about the new Gareth Edwards Godzilla movie, which is currently playing in theaters. But to help us review Godzilla, we are welcoming back our good friend. He is the host of the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, One Sick Puppy. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Good so, evening. two things for you, One Sick Puppy. Number one, I have a quick message for you from His Dinner's in the Oven. And I think I got this through Dr. Shock. So, that's weird. But anyway, here it is. It says, tell Jay that he and One Sick Puppy were spot on about what I meant by monster rallies. They didn't sound to be too big of fans. And I can see why. Most of them stink, except... Monster Squad and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I just love the novelty of seeing all the big guns together, kind of like the horror version of the Avengers. So that was from him. So I guess we were right about that. Excellent. All right. And then the other thing I wanted to just recognize One Sick Puppy for, in response to our coverage for the movie, um, Lizzie Borden took an axe during episode 16. One Sick Puppy emailed me these three amazing in-depth documents. They're like transcripts from the Lizzie Borden trial. <laughs> it's just like pages Ooh. and pages covering the case. And I wow. did. I, I got to read through some of it, not all of it. It's kind of chilling and fascinating. So I just want to thank you for doing that. And I was going to tell you, um, is th- are these documents that people could find? Or maybe I could like attach them in the show notes as downloadable PDF. So... Where do you get these? I honestly can't recall where I picked those up. It was just one of those crazy Googling nights. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I got I got a quick question. I've not I'm not you know, I've I've seen the pictures from the crime scene, which actually is, is pretty graphic, especially of the father laying there um with his head bashed in. And I just read very briefly about it, but from your uh I guess one sick puppy from your um, reading over these documents, was she guilty or, or was, is there a question? I think she was guilty. Okay. But she got off on it. So. Yeah. yeah well, she got, she got off, uh, she got off on it, but it's, it's looking like she was probably, I mean, I had, I had figured she probably was, but I remember reading something somewhere along the lines of, of somebody trying to, you know, put together this evidence saying that she might not have been that, that it might have been you know, something else, and um, but I, I didn't delve into it too deeply, so I really wasn't sure. There is a doubt, but I wouldn't quite push it to a reasonable doubt. 
Okay. <laughs> right. All right. And if you read the alternative theories to, you know, what it could be, they all seem really ridiculous and not very um, probable to me, okay. at least. So, anyway, so I'll tell you what, if these are not copyrighted material, I will attach them in the show notes for people to download if they want to do that. I don't know. They're, I assume they're like court document transcripts, but I don't know if somebody put these together as part of their book or what, but I'll look into Very it. brutal. Real Not that images. I'm aware of. They should be a matter of public record. Okay. All right. All right. Now, um, before we jump into the Godzilla stuff here, I got something, a little comment I want to read. This was left on episode 16 from Dr. Shock, <laughs> and it reads, Jay and Josh. Excellent show. I enjoyed the discussion about the sacrament. Being somewhat of a Ty West fan, I look forward to checking this one out. Regarding the debate as to whether it should have been reviewed on HMP, I'll address that on the next show. While I haven't seen the movie, I would still like to weigh in with my opinion. I have yet to see Contracted, but now I want to. I have seen We Are What We Are, and I agree with you both. As much as I liked Jim Mickle's previous efforts, this is easily his best film. And I know what you mean about the ending, Jay. It stayed with me for days afterwards. By the way, I have seen the original, and I was not uh-huh. impressed. As opposed to the superior ending we get in Mickle's version, the original had an incredibly weak <sighs> finale. Oh, man. And then um, he, Doc continues, right? He said, also, aside from a few basic plot points, <laughs> the two movies are very different from one another. <laughs> and then it says... As for the decision to limit the listener feedback, I was part of that discussion, and I agree with you guys. Thanks to our intelligent, well-informed listeners. The community on the message board has evolved leaps and bounds beyond what we thought it would be, which is a great thing. I agree that the direct emails and voice messages should be part of the show, and like you both, I will try my best to interact more with those who leave comments in the forum as opposed to discussing them during the show. Of course, that (laughs) that doesn't apply to this particular posting of mine. (laughs) <laughs> which I which I expect Jay to read verbatim on the next episode. Again, excellent show, guys. So I guess I deserve that. I guess I deserve that. I, I, that was, I obviously was kidding, but... That was a long way to go for a punchline, wasn't it, guys? Yes, it was a long way to go. And I was thinking, oh, geez, he's going to read the whole thing, isn't he? All right. Just out of love and respect. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But no, I... And with, with regard to, to you guys... Um, debate on you know whether whether the movie should have been covered um i think it i think I, I, it might have been a little strange not to mention it at all seeing as ty west is is you know tied in you know for yeah. want of a better word with the horror genre um to to have at least given it a mention i mean i do understand what you're saying josh too um, you know, well, because I think you're right. I, would be a good yeah, place but, to stop. Right, like, <laughs> like Wes Craven's um, movie, the one movie he made. Um, what was that? You said I don't even remember what it was about, but I uh, remember violin. Right yeah, now. the violin movie. Yeah, obviously so that scary. one. There's not even a reason <laughs> to mention that during the podcast. But I, you know, with this one, it seems like it's at least if it's not a straight up horror movie, it seems like it's at least in the realm. You know, with with the, with the with the subject matter, mm-hmm. you know, being what it is. Again, this is from someone who hasn't seen the movie. No, I don't think you're. Out. I don't think you're far off. I just, you know, for me, it was like a. I, I think it deserved mentioning for sure. Let me put okay. It that way. 
Josh, I don't think I don't me. think we should have done a full review on this podcast. Okay. I mean, and it's mostly just because I think it was the wrong, you know, I, for instance, uh, Chris Access, who's a friend of the show, um, tweeted me about this pretty upset with what I had said, because he was like, I think saying that a movie's a six. Sorry, here's more listener feedback. I think that saying the movie is a six and a horror podcast show and the same movie would be an eight and a non horror show is not cool. It's like saying that I think my misfits loving punk girlfriend is an eight, but only a six if I'm with my Bruno Mars loving preppy friends. <laughs> <laughs> to which I, you know, which I, you know, I see what I see why he would, I, and I may have worded it incorrectly, so I apologize. I'm not saying that horror movies are worse, and so you know, I I don't think of them as highly, and so the the movie you know would be rated differently in that way whatsoever. It's just, um, and what I replied to Chris was, it's more like saying. Who's the better punk band, the Misfits or Bruno Mars? That's the wrong question to begin with, and I, that's kind of how I felt about it. It's okay. just not, just not the proper venue, guys. Come right, on. right. <laughs> I understand um, so, where you're coming from. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about that, and from my perspective on the Jonestown thing, that to me is really horrific, and including a movie that's so tied to that just just because of what it means to me on a horror podcast makes sense if it had been a movie about heaven's gate i would say you know you should have done it on uh the other show but there's this is really scary to me and it's i don't know it's it hits me pretty hard in a in a way that a lot of horror doesn't so i didn't feel like it was out of place Ultimately, I'm glad we had the discussion, but um, I wouldn't. Again, I'm not looking forward to the next Fast and Furious movie discussion on <laughs> this, uh, this podcast. That's pretty funny. Touche, Josh. And um, Tony is on fire in the comments for episode 16. He he said something that made me think that this has been a, a widespread debate with everybody, Josh, not just you and me. He said, Jay. Um, and I'm not just saying this because he agreed with me. I'm just saying. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I swear. Yeah, he's skipping the five that didn't, but we'll get this one. No, then. hear me out. He said, Jay agreed he completely on the sacrament. I've been in my own little debate over this film, and I take your stand on the film point by point, whereas my opposition is echoing Josh's comments word for word. And this seems to be taking place all over the internet. So, um, you know, I, so I, re- I read a comment that disagreed with me and you read a comment that disagreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't about that. It was just about all I was trying to say. I guess I should have cut out that beginning part where, no, he, but, where he agreed. But I think it's interesting that this happened because obviously there was ambiguity there. And I wonder if Ty West did that on purpose, honestly. Like, you know, sometimes people... Like we talk about, we criticize how other genres try to cross over into horror. I wonder if if filmmakers are now starting to take that to their advantage and do horror and branch out, try to get other genres as well. You I know, think of something like You're Next and The Purge and, you know, You're Next, Ty was specifically involved with. I think they do uh, reach larger audiences and I it seems like that was intentional to me. So I don't know. Well, it, it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned that because Jim Mickle's next movie is not listed as a horror film. It's listed as a thriller. Uh, well, even we are what we are is less obvious horror than his first two movies. I would say mm-hmm. that's that's true. 
That's true. But I think this next one, it's, it's called um, Cold in July. Looks like it's uh, got a 2014 release date, actually. Can't wait. And it's a drama thriller. And interestingly enough, he's got a cast. He's got uh, Sam Shepard, Don Johnson, and Michael C. Hall in this movie. Mm, I can't wait on that. Sounds like a fun cast, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to it, too. So, I'm looking forward to it as well. So, Josh, since we were on this discussion again, and I promise we're going to move on. I just I didn't get to ask you a question about it last time because I forgot. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I ask you now, or would you prefer to keep on trucking? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Josh, he's tired. I'm starting on him already. <laughs> a little road weary, but no, let's 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 get this over with. Okay, no, I <laughs> I I, I always no, I realize that we don't need to copy and emulate or imitate or try to compete with any other horror website. But I did notice that a lot of the other big horror sites, quote unquote, like Fangoria, Dread Central, those kind of guys, Fearnet, that they had reviews covering it. But I know that a lot of those cover other movies as well. So I just wonder what your feelings were on that, just generally. I mean, I don't have an opinion on what they do. That's cool. I, I, it's on the odd thing is that I'm actually arguing the opposite of what I usually argue because I, I think of the group of us. I maybe have, or I don't know. At least Jay and I, I more have a, have a broader, uh, wider range of films that I'm willing to include in horror. Yes. Usually, um, I think for me the thing that I was afraid of, which didn't really rear its head, was that. There was another film earlier in the year called Black Rock, and that's a film that I don't think is intended in any way to be a horror movie. I think at the most it's like a drama thriller, but I think um, apparently Jay took its advertising, its trailer is is touting it as a horror film, and so – and so he reviewed it as a horror film. And that's actually that's actually what I was trying to avoid, is you giving this movie low grades because you thought it was unsuccessful in being a horror film, which ultimately I did. I, because I said, if we're reviewing it as a horror film, it's unsuccessful. But I do, you know, I did like it um, as a dramatic piece or a thriller. Wow. So to make sure I understand, just for the future then, so you feel, tell me if I mischaracterize you, you feel that, we should not critique a film based on its advertising because the advertising machine is totally separate from the film. Oh, I don't think the advertising should have anything to do with it. Not at all. I th- I'll, I'll tend to agree with Josh on that one. There's a movie out there called Nothing from 2003 that I covered <laughs> on the blog that is a comedy. It's a sci-fi comedy, real interesting one about these two guys who wish away the world and end up in a void. You know, just this, just this sort of white void that they can't get out of. And it's a comedy. If you look at the trailer, they sell it as a horror thriller. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't even mention a single comedic aspect of it there. And the, the music mm-hmm. they're using and everything, they're promoting this thing as a horror thriller, I yeah. guess. Um, and, and it's not. It's, uh, anybody who would go into that looking for a horror movie would be disappointed within the first 10 minutes. So guys. Which happens so much. That happens all the time. Yeah. That's not necessarily the movie's fault. I think that's almost our job to overcome the advertising. In fact, it I, is. I avoid is. advertising as much as I can. It's like they advertised The Conjuring as a good movie. And look what <laughs> happened when we saw it. <laughs> Hey, I, I actually enjoyed the con- pretty controversial <laughs> statement there. Yeah. I'm just digging it, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was, I, I actually probably Jay liked that. it the least of the three of us. Yes. Jay's, yeah. Right. 
What's Jay's insidious is his jam. Uh, yeah, oh, Jay, <laughs> chapter Jay, two. Come on. Jay Jay took two points off uh, for the girl who got her hair pulled. Uh, Jay took two points for a possible future <laughs> mocking of this on Saturday Night Live or something. Which happened. Which which happened. You know, that that had, that did come around. So I uh, foretold those events. But but guys, here's my question for you guys, since you're all three so smart. Um, so where can we who can we punish then i guess where where do our frustrations like where can we aim our disdain for being tricked into going to see a movie because we think it's horror or we were led to believe it's horror and then oh, it's yeah. not i mean we're getting screwed i think it has to be the the studios that not maybe not the studios or the distributors that are releasing it because they're the ones misleading you i mean i don't know that um, and Josh might be able to speak to this a little more, but I don't know that the, that the filmmakers themselves always take part in the ad campaigns. Oh, no. Or they, uh, or they might not even be consulted. True. It's turned over to the distributors and those who, the money people who are trying to think, how do we best sell this movie for, you know, to, to make, to make the, uh, the most amount of, of profit from it? And obviously, horror is really big now. So that's what they do. I mean, Magnet Releasing, which is a company I love. I love the movies they're putting out, but they'll put any damn thing in horror, <laughs> whether it is or not. They'll put they'll put horror as the, as the genre <laughs> because they know that people key into that and they're they're going to check it out if it's listed as such. Well, that segues very nicely into our discussion of this trailer that was released this week, which is for the sequel to Monsters. This is called Monsters: Dark Continent. And for those who haven't seen this yet, um, check out this. I'll play a little audio clip for you here. Monsters around, but they ain't scaring me. In the land of sand where they only speak Arabic. Far from home, I know they be missing me. My girl on the phone, dreaming and kissing me. Out here with Sergeant Forrest, but he ain't no gun. Got the rifle in the hand, making all your mamas jump. From the D, man, you know, hoes and thugs. Lay it down like a king, catching giant sand bugs. <laughs> you guys, what yeah, was that? I have no idea. That's exactly what I thought. I was just... For the first thirty seconds of that, I'm like, "What the hell did he ask me to watch?" Was that was that was that like in in like a coffee house or something with a beat like a like a little? I keep thinking like a beatnik, you know? <laughs> yeah, it I know. Sound like a beatnik gathering there. Oh, wow. dude, he's he's getting ready to spit some rhymes. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> well, why why is there poetry or you know rap lyrics perhaps in in our horror movie trailer? You're gonna find out, obviously, Jay. You're gonna find out. You get a rapper. As your main character, maybe. I mean, no, I mean it's it's it, it's set up to look like a modern horror. I mean, a modern war documentary, right? That's what all of them have. They're all kids listening to heavy metal and rap and and playing video games and shooting people, and and that's it's set up to kind of give you the feel of one of those documentaries or one of those movies, and uh, you know, generation kill type stuff, and. Uh, and then you know it's a the old switcheroo at the last minute. Yes, which but, honestly it's closer to it's closer to Godzilla than it is to monsters. What you you've got to admit, 
you've got to admit though, Josh, the Forrest Gump reference was a little much, right? Oh, I'm not saying I liked his this guy's r- rhymes. <laughs> if I was an eight mile and I was grading his uh, his little rap there, I would have given him a low score. But that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, I just wondered. Anyway, so that's for monsters too, and I just want to know if you guys are excited about this movie. Well, I have not seen Monsters One, so I am interested. I got just a brief glimpse in the trailer for the second one of the actual creatures and they look pretty cool and the movie is actually in daylight so we might actually get to see them (laughs) i actually i did i saw the first monsters and i thought it was i thought it was interesting and i you know i enjoyed it i can't sit here and say that i remember a whole lot about it i mean it's been a few years since i saw it yeah but um I'd be interested to check out the sequel, sure. And I agree that the creatures at the end of this trailer we just heard, they do look promising. They have a little bit of a giant scorpion look to them, and everybody knows I love beastly freaks. But I'm (laughs) also worried it's going to be kind of a a snooze fest again, because I really thought the monsters from 2010, the Gareth Edwards film, which we're going somewhere with this, I thought it was boring and it didn't show enough of the monsters. And I thought that that, that original monsters had a masterpiece premise. And yeah, but you don't, you don't always want to show, I mean, you know, look, going back to jaws, you don't want to show the monsters all the time. Yeah. Plus this is, there was an extremely low budget indie movie and it wasn't even a horror movie. Really? Again, it was not, I don't think intended to be a horror movie well, primarily, but it, let's see. So on IMDb, the premise is, Six years after Earth has suffered an alien invasion, a cynical journalist agrees to escort a shaken American tourist through an infected zone in Mexico to the safety of the U.S. border. Now, when I heard that premise the first time, I'm like, oh my goodness, I cannot watch this movie fast enough. I'm so excited. It's like, And this- if you look at IMDb, also on that same page, the order in which the... Uh, genres are listed as first drama, second sci-fi, and third thriller. <laughs> and in fact, Josh, uh, I'll even do you one better on that. After okay. having seen the movie myself, this movie, Monsters from 2010, and it ends up being a love story. It's actually a slow burn romance when it's all said and done. It's just this romance that happens with an unusual backdrop. So yeah, in terms of a horror film for me, it's a dud. Well, again, this yeah, was sure. that. What? This, Screw that. That's what you said. Yeah. I don't want to watch a romance. Just, I want to see some monsters. That's what I'm saying. This was also released by Magnet, which is why you would think it was a horror movie to begin with. Based on the trailer. Now, listen, Jason, this is exactly what I'm talking about with Black Rock. This is a movie that's a great little indie movie within like the sci-fi setting. It's, a, it's, it's intended to be an indie drama, and it's using this sci-fi genre elements to make it a little more interesting and exciting than it normally would be. And that's and it, what it's trying to do. It completely succeeds at It's just not a horror movie, and you're judging it based on your desire to see monsters. Right? Well, somebody told me that it was actually a really good monster movie and that it, it, it was pretty cool much his test reel to get Godzilla. Absolutely. I mean, I don't. Th- that's not why he did it, but it was why he got Godzilla for sure. But guys, so are there monsters in the movie or not? Uh-oh. There are. There are. But I mean, don't expect to see them. You know, it's 
you're not going to see them throughout the movie. You're not going <laughs> to, you know, it, it, because it was low budget. And you're going to see them the, toward at the end of the movie is when you see, I guess, you see them more than at any other point, obviously. Now, wait a second, you guys. Now, we're not talking about Godzilla, right? No, we're no. not yet. <laughs> but, but, but yes, that's where that's exactly where we're going with this. But the thing is, guys, why is it my fault that this guy doesn't have a very big budget, so he's not going to show us many monsters. If you don't have a big budget, don't it's make a not, big, a giant monster movie. If you have a small budget, make a small movie. Well, it's not. Well, no one says it's. Well, no one says it's your problem, but or, or your fault. But by the same token, um, I, I, I wasn't. I, I didn't find it unengaging. I didn't find it slow or boring. I mean, I, I. Again, I, I, I guess it can't really speak much to it that I sitting here, I only remember bits and pieces of it. But it's been years it, since I've seen it, but I remember enjoying it. I, I didn't go in expecting a big monster, you know. You're just not taking the movie on its own terms at all, Jason. You know, like it's not. It, 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 yeah. One sick puppy. It's almost, it almost sounds as if you're holding it accountable for your expectations as opposed to what the movie well, set out to do. Well, first of all, guys, it's called Monsters, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? For real. I mean, come on. It's called Monsters, you guys. Yes, and it has monsters. Festival, little tiny film festival movie that you only heard about because he did such a good job that it kind of like broke out of the pack of things that were, you know, a and little. It has, and it, it has monsters. And it has monsters. And it has yeah. a, a little bit, but it's slow, quiet, and pensive. I thought you didn't do enough work on your end, and that's why you didn't enjoy it. What? what? Yeah, but you wouldn't. You wouldn't call driving Miss Daisy tires because it has some tires in it. You know, yeah, well, the tires don't well, play the bit. You call it driving if, if, because there's driving in it. Yeah. There's all, the tires don't play a central role. It's the driving, really. That's the, well, you couldn't drive without the tires. That's and true. this, and in this movie, the monsters are what uh, have set the story in motion. So I see yeah. no reason why you wouldn't call it monsters. Well, for the listeners out there who want to go to sleep, I'm just kidding. At the time of this recording, Monsters is still streaming on Netflix. Watch instantly. It's also but, free on Amazon Prime Instant Video. But for me, that one's a four out of ten. Avoid. Mm-hmm. So the the director though of Monsters, and that's why we talked about these two monster movies, is the same director for on, Gods. Do, do I get to give a review <laughs> rated on this? Oh well, please do. Yes, it's an eight easily, and it's it's not intended to be a horror movie. So if you're expecting a horror movie. Like Jason, you're going to be completely disappointed. But if you're someone with a little bit broader interest in films, if you go in thinking you're going to get an interesting indie drama, you're going to love it. Do you say buy it, Josh? I own it. Okay. Josh said, I I live the way I talk. Or however that expression goes. (laughs) (laughs) Josh does what he says. Walk the walk. That's right. He walks the walk. So if anybody's wondering... Why in the heck we're talking about Godzilla? Would you like to hear my review? Oh yeah, uh, my, my rating on monsters. Perhaps? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. a, yeah. Go ahead, you guys. Come on. I'm just throwing it. Out. I was waiting for you to start again before I <laughs> to, uh, chimed in. Um, I would, I would. I mean, again, like I said, it's, it's not fresh in my mind, but I do remember enjoying it. I even remember watching it with my son, who who said he thought it was kind of interesting as well. Um, and this is this is a kid whose favorite movie right now is The Avengers, so um, I'd probably give it a, a seven, and I'd say I'd say rent it. You know, uh, it's worth watching. Okay, 
Got the full spectrum here, guys. That's right. <laughs> so one second. Well, I'm not watching it, so that's my review. You listen to Jay of the Dead. Nice work. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, listeners, if, if you've seen Monsters or you end up watching it because of this conversation, let us know in the comments what you think and give us your ratings. So, if people are wondering then why we want to talk about Godzilla, well, number one, it's a giant monster movie. Now, do you, is that fair? Here we go again, part two. Is that fair to everybody? Like, we're covering on a horror movie podcast because is Godzilla not supposed to be the king of the monsters? And I would even argue that he probably ranks, you know, along second tier of classic monsters. Did you uh, did you review Pacific Rim on this podcast? I can't remember. No, but those monsters are not infamously, <laughs> you know, associated with classic monsters, right? Okay. I mean, I, I yes, I would agree with you that Godzilla would rank among the classic monsters. There's no doubt of it. Yeah, just definitely. because you know of of his status, and I think everybody, when you hear Godzilla, it conjures up a certain image, you know. And uh, anybody who's even with a even if you haven't seen the movies, you you know that image. So I would agree. I think definitely. You know, Godzilla it's, it's is the bedrock of beastly freak movies. <laughs> But it, it is, is a science, they, they are science fiction movies. That's I mean, true. First that, and first. Yes, you are right about that. And for people who don't know, I'm sure probably everybody listening to this podcast knows, but Godzilla was a reaction to the fears that were had, especially in the 1950s after, like, you know, the atomic bombs dropped on Japan in, in the mid 40s after World War II, at the end of World War II. There was this a lot of anxiety and obviously apprehension about the nuclear age uh -huh. and so these films are like a manifestation of that a lot of times the cinema will reflect the the fears or, or feelings of a culture and society and as i remember the original movie it's a, it's a it's really kind of a dark affair mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know as yeah. as opposed to the later ones where we get gadzuki trying to, you know, spit out, you know, puffs of smoke while Daddy Godzilla watches them. <laughs> you know, that original film was was really pretty dark. <laughs> That's right. So, anyways, having said all that, though, I mean, I think we can all agree, right, that this is not a, a horror movie, you know, per right. se. So, just yeah. so people know. But we're doing it, you know, and what I did to strike a balance so I would appease people like Josh on this show you know, we didn't do a special release the very next day after it, you know, came out. I'm like, well, we'll just put it in on our next episode. Whereas typically we try to get it in sooner. So uh -huh. having said that, here's the trailer. I want to talk to somebody in charge. You are not fooling anybody when you say that what happened was a natural disaster. You're lying. It was not an earthquake. It wasn't a typhoon. Because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. And it is gonna send us back to the Stone Age. So guys, we now have another I don't know if you call it a remake or a reboot. We haven't established those definitions on this podcast just yet. But after the film that came out in 1998, starring Matthew Broderick, we finally have a new Godzilla. And so I want to turn it over to 
Wolfman Josh Ligari and just ask you, what did you think of the new Godzilla? Now, I, we talked about this briefly on Movie Podcast Weekly, and I talked about it briefly because I fell asleep during my first screening of the film. Um, <laughs> I, t- I was really excited for it, um, but I, I don't know what happened. Uh, it was a late night, and I'd had, I think, a little bit too big a dinner. Uh, my body wasn't ready to digest all that food or all that movie. I'm not sure which one, but but I crashed out. So I, did, I only saw about 50% of the movie last time. I was able to revisit it. And I do like this movie. Again, you know, as you've stated many times, it's not a horror movie. I would say, you know, it's kind of like an action first drama sci-fi affair. But um, I did enjoy it a great deal. It's not it's not a great movie. I would kind of list it among movies like The Avengers that Doc mentioned earlier. It's that type of movie to me. Um, and for like a big box office you know, summer blockbuster type of movie. Um, I I felt like it executed what I was hoping for. I had problems with it, particularly in the in the character stuff. I I just felt like the main actor who you know from Kick Ass um, was just terrible in it. And and I've liked him in the Kick Ass films, but I didn't like him here. Um, I felt Brian Cranston was incredible, but he wasn't given enough screen time, unfortunately. And I felt like some of the storytelling structure was pretty choppy and and uh and not very well done but i do feel like once godzilla hits the screen it was a blast and um and i know you criticize it for him not being on the screen quite enough but i really love the character design i love the way he looks i like that he looks resembles the old godzilla it's not like a jurassic park dinosaur like the matthew broderick film it it really looks like the old godzilla but it looks like a living breathing version of that so you don't really uh, brought the old design kind of to life, um, which I appreciated. I liked the use of the locations, but ultimately is pretty dumb movie. Um, it's just kind of a big romp and, uh, I enjoyed it on that in that way. Okay. Thank you. And one sick puppy. What did you think? I, um, I liked the, the opening credits. I thought they were cool. The way they, uh, were redacted. Very cool. Uh, Yeah. I thought there was, too much uh, science in the movie, too much explanation. I thought that uh, there was way too much human interaction in the movie. And I liked the back. Did you like the backstory though, in terms of, or you know, when they're talking about the history of Godzilla, or is that the science that you're disliking? No, that was very interesting. I thought that was very cool. The as yeah. far as the, you know, the power plant and the you know, then they've got this monster project going on, you know, in the later years. And it's, there's way too many people and way too much, uh, human element in this movie and not nearly enough monsters. And I thought that, like you said, the, uh, actual character design of Godzilla was awesome, but the perspective of the fights where it it was almost too realistic, like you couldn't see enough of the, you know, I, I wanted them to back up and let me see these monsters really going at it. And it felt more like I'm seeing a leg here and, and a, you know, an arm here than actual, you know, full screen throwdown. 
I was I thought that was kind of cool. A friend of mine pointed that out to me, but that it's always um, shot from a human perspective. But I thought that was actually an interesting element. It's only, and I talked about some of you podcasts weekly. It's only when it goes to the news uh, shots that you actually see, you know, kind of the classic Godzilla wide shot. And I thought that was pretty awesome, actually, that you're always seeing it from the way a human would see it. And you know, I mean, and that's that. You know, again, that's definitely the human element of this film. But yeah, but that's not what I went to the movie to see. I went to see yeah. the monster throwdown. And it was I, just, I, I you know, it was shot in the dark. You know, most of the fighting takes place at night, it seemed like. Or the and rain. It was just, or the there's rain. A, it was just of... hard to see. And, uh, Amen. you know, I just, I felt like the monsters weren't battling enough. And the. But compared to kind of classic crappy. Godzilla, I mean, compared to I mean, monsters battled in such a more interesting and breathtaking way than they ever have before. If you're if you're taking Godzilla as your starting point, the old films, I mean. But Josh, here's my major step up. Here's my problem with that, though, and then I want to hear what Doc has to say about this film. Um, my problem is people always say, "Well, well, what were the original Godzilla films like?" Well. Most of them sucked. I mean, did we want that again? No, we want a good new modern Godzilla that's awesome. Not it, a, it delivered on that though. Um, well, we'll see. But what do you think, Doctor Chuck? Um, <clears throat> I I kind of uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was you know for a summer movie. Uh, it was that it was sort of a big dumb movie. Um, I didn't get a lot from the characters. You know, like one like one sick puppy was saying there wasn't a. Uh, there was a little too much of that at times, uh, and they were trying to to take it into places that it didn't have to go. You know, it didn't need to go in those areas. Um, but I mean, I agree. Brian Cranston was very good, and I thought, um, you know, I don't want to go too deep into spoilers, but I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, that that it that his character sort of evolved and 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 things happened in the way they did, you know, because it was a surprise. Um, for me, you know, I, I, I was expecting that, that, uh, again, I don't want to get too deep into it because anything I say here could be a potential spoiler, Right. but, um, that, that arc, that what happened with that character arc surprised me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I was expecting something different. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it was me. I didn't go into the movie expecting to see the monsters all the time. I, I don't think that, I don't think that that serves a movie. Well, when it's going to, mm. you know, when it's going to spend half the time, um, you know, just throwing the monsters at you, because if no, it had no, done no. that, I think on the other end, people would have been like, oh, it's too much. I mean, how much, how much can there's you really no story and there's nothing to, how much yeah. can you really sit in a movie watching monsters throw each other around? Can you sit there for an hour of two hours watching that? <laughs> I agree with that statement, but not as it applies to a Godzilla movie. Mm. Okay, but now now Jay had just made the comment, do you agree with Jay that most of the original Godzilla movies were not that good? And if so, so, why? The Godzilla movies were not, you know, cinematic masterpieces, (laughs) but for them to be, I mean, they were throwdown monster movies. That's what makes them so great. Absolutely. And yeah, we all know that they're a guy in a rubber suit, and it's cool to see Godzilla, you know, in his full glory. But, you know, if you go to see Pacific Rim and you want to see, you know, 
the human element in this, that's fine. But when I go to see a Godzilla movie, all I want to see is Godzilla kicking ass. And I don't care what <laughs> happened to Brian Cranston's character. I just thought all that was completely unnecessary. And 15 minutes oh, of Godzilla God. is not enough to sate me after See, waiting I, I, for this okay. movie for so I long. mean, f- fair enough, fair enough. I mean, for me personally, I thought it was – I got just as much out of that as I, as I thought I was going to get. And what yeah. I got I thought was, you know, was enough. It was at least enough to – to, uh, to to make it satisfying because in this day and age, I don't think you can make the old Godzilla movies, which, by the way, I do enjoy. I like those old Godzilla movies. Some are better than others, but I do the enjoy them. The same thing yes, would apply so. to King Kong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if but, you think I mean, about it, I mean, there are, bit, there are large chunks of the original King Kong where you don't see Kong. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, you need it. I mean, I think the human thing is to pull you into it and they wonder how are we going to get someone to care about this lizard creature for this extended period of time. I mean, that would have almost been an art film if they had tried to pull that off. But I, I, I don't think I'd feel like, you know, an actor like Brian Cranston is especially turning in such a powerful performance is a legitimate way to approach trying to pull an audience into a movie and giving them something to care about um, beyond, you know, because again, they're not making this for just Godzilla fans. I'm assuming you know, they're right. trying to capitalize on that and have a major blockbuster film. And I don't know. I feel I feel like it's an it's the perfect medium as far as I'm concerned. Like I don't I don't know I don't know how interested I w- would have been in the version that's just Godzilla fighting. Um I you know, I wasn't completely enthralled by this version, but I feel like they at least tried. <laughs> I the, I hate to repeat myself, but I did compare this to Transformers on Movie Podcast Weekly and um, I think that is the level of Godzilla you get here. It is kind of focused on this human protagonist to kind of try to take you through the story or at least be present throughout the story. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's, I think it's actually less successful here than it is in Transformers, but. Um, well, I want to address what you guys have been talking about because yeah. I, I too, I do not want monster battles the entire movie because Endless action scenes, especially scenes that aren't really story-driven, they're just set pieces, those do get boring to me as well. But here's my complaint, though. It took about approximately 45 minutes until we see a monster. And guess what? That monster was not Godzilla. And it's like, (laughs) what? Like, how do you not have Godzilla in the movie up front? I mean, not up front, but I mean... Well, he's in the opening credits, but... Well, kind of. But here's the thing. (laughs) I think this is closer to what we saw with Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Now, I know this. Oh, come on. I'm serious. I'm serious (laughs) because Ang Lee tried to take it and he tried to make it a little bit arty. And really, people just wanted to see the Hulk wrecking stuff, right? And I think that's what One Sick Puppy's talking about. We don't want to see Godzilla fighting the entire time, but get Elizabeth Olsen out there as the lead because she had zero role. Get rid of Aaron Taylor Johnson because this guy had like zero personality in this particular film. So like Elizabeth Olsen, whom we love, I think we all love her, but absolutely, she should have been out front. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that girl has so much emotion. She can emote so much from her eyes. I would have been behind her story. I would have been worried about her in the story. But I'll tell you what, I I will agree with you on that. I did wish that we spent a little more time with that character, with with her character, 
because I'll agree with you, you know, and, and she was the one who was in harm's way towards the end there, you know, and I thought that she definitely was a, a very interesting character. I'm sure it had a lot to do with the way that, that she was playing her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I would have liked to have seen them spend a little more time with her, maybe a little less time with, uh, with the lead. Well, let's talk about Definitely. some. Let's talk about some that we don't discuss enough. I think. I mean, we kind of <laughs> funny. Ironically, we touched on this earlier in this very episode. But let's talk about expectations because I think a lot of people saw the trailer for this. And by the way, these trailers I thought were exceptional, and uh-huh. I think that got a lot of people's expectations in a certain place for a certain kind of movie. And then I think the movie itself was a little bit different. Now, now, how did it meet your expectations? Well, okay, if you if you do take it in that regards, how often did you see Godzilla in the trailer? Well, I saw action in the trailer. Well, exactly, you saw but action in the trailer, but you didn't see the monster in the trailer, and you found out it's a it's a Godzilla movie. Maybe that was why. And I saw the trailer too, and I thought they were great. Yeah, you can see him, but for oh. what percentage of the trailer? What you don't? You, you don't, just got devastated, Jason. I just said you can see him. <laughs> How is that devastated? You can Doc see just, him in the Doc, trailer. Doc just knocked your block off. No, <laughs> the whole point of a trailer for a movie like this is to tease you about the monster that they're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and, but I, and half I think, of the but, footage that we saw in the trailers was all we got to see of Godzilla. <laughs> That's right. I if you put all I the trailers, I don't remember, I don't remember seeing. Godzilla fully in the trailer at all. He's in it. It's very exciting. But you don't see like a wide shot of him that you get in the movie. It's more than you see of him in the first 45 minutes of the movie. I'll say that. And I was was not expecting to see him in the first 45 minutes of the movie. And I don't know why any, you know, other than maybe if you saw like a quick flash of him in the ocean. I don't, I mean, what would the sense be of, of Godzilla barreling out of the ocean and destroying a city? You know, because I, it's I, a Godzilla I, movie. Yeah, if you go to see a movie, uh, oh, for God's sake! In this day and age, you think they're going to do something silly like that? Especially really? if it's called you think they're Godzilla. Do something silly like that. Okay, they're going to go back That's to the old Godzilla no, it's movies. Not, not at all. The Godzilla movies movie, as much as I love Marsilly. To have made a movie like that in this day and age would have been ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous to have a monster showing up in the first ten minutes and trashing a city. Come on, seriously. That's what Godzilla is. That's yeah. okay. And and, and we're all sitting here and we're all sitting here saying that we you know <laughs> we're not sure a Godzilla movie would work in this day and age, but yet we want it. And it's not Absolutely. like nothing happens in the first no. 45 minutes, Jason. No. You see the effects of the monsters. We hear almost a lot about radiation and the power plant. Um like like one sick puppy was saying, there's a lot of pseudoscience, and it's like yeah, yeah and that didn't have anything to do with the first Godzilla. And destruction it? and death. Well, like, how long do we need science class in a Godzilla movie? Like, for real. It's like, guys, Well, I guess 45 minutes. No. Jason, you're the guy who always wants it to be more realistic. This is, like, the most realistic version of Godzilla so far. And now you're poo-pooing, they like, went, all the stuff that makes it realistic. They went too far on it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> right. They did. I mean, it was just too long. Now, see, I'll tell you guys something. I was really open-minded on this movie. Uh, Like, I was hopeful. I wasn't off the charts with my expectations like a lot of people I've talked to. But, you know, and I was like, oh, Gareth Edwards, well, okay, I'm hopeful, you know. And, you know, he just did the same thing as he did in Monsters, as far as I'm concerned. But 
let's talk about the creature design. Josh has already touched on it. And Josh, I have to say, I agree with you 100% about that. However, he does look a little bit chunky. And I'm not saying that I'm I'm not a couple pounds over what I should be. But there's <laughs> something about this Godzilla that makes him look a little bit fat or pudgy. And it kind of bugged me a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I thought he needed a treadmill or something. <laughs> First time I saw him. Seriously, you're going. You're going to. You're going to. You're going to get on the Godzilla for being a little pudgy. Well, he. Well, he how looks, many points does that cost the film? No, no. Look at, look at the original Godzilla. He looks Seriously, way less he looks, pudgy he than looks the original. He looks felt to you in the original movies. <laughs> you know, not he, only that, but he, they didn't want him to look like the dinosaur that he looked like in '98. Like they wanted him to look like a, you know, the a monster, not a dinosaur. Right, right. But I'm just saying, I liked how they went with the classic Godzilla look. All I'm saying is he just had a little bit too much like thickness to it. If you compare, if you compare the original Godzilla to the new one, it's way more sleek. But if you do a side by side, it's totally, it's way, so. way more sleek. I, I, I can't even, so I can't I'm even look, believe. I'm looking right now at models of both of them. I'll send you guys I, links. I can't even believe this has entered into a discussion about a slightly pudgier Godzilla. Seriously? <laughs> Here's the it's thing. character design. Yeah, Dr. Oh, Shuck, okay. this is creature design. And if you're, if you have a monster movie, then the way the monster looks is important. How's that not yes, important? That- because it looked fine, for God's sakes. So we put on a little bit of weight. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted. All right, whatever. Well, go ahead. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and, uh, and listen at this point. Well, I'm just saying. I, I just, I just, I, the, the look of the Godzilla. He was a little pudgier. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you that one. I'll tell you. I, I don't Cranston think you guys. Look, was Brian Cranston a little pudgier? Yeah, he Did looks he look a little more, a little heavier to you. Great or? as always. Oh, good. Okay, I was concerned. <laughs> I think you guys went to see a movie. I don't think you went to see a Godzilla movie. I don't think you're looking at it at and the, I honestly from the didn't same expect, perspective. I didn't expect to see an original Godzilla movie because I don't think you could make it in this day and age. I honestly did not go in with a single bit of expectation that it was going to be anything like that. Nor did I, I wanted to him see an to come out of the Godzilla water. Movie. Right. I wanted him to come out of the water and tear the hell out of Tokyo and... You know, I wanted to see the the news coverage and the military attempting to respond to what was going on. Yes, I didn't. I didn't want to see you know this lovelorn lost romance, and I didn't want to see his kid you know bouncing back from every calamity that he is involved in because he's some kind of Superman. I wanted to see mass destruction. Yes. And if and you I can't don't, get that out of a Godzilla movie, then where the hell are you supposed to get but it? But I, I don't know what anything in the trailer would have led you to believe it was going to be that kind of movie. Exactly. What? The trailer. Nothing in that trailer. The it trailer does not look yes, like it, a traditional Godzilla movie at all. It does not look like I know, a traditional it looks Godzilla awesome. movie in any regard. It looks awesome. The trailer looks impressive. It looks exciting. It looks real. That's why. I mean, that, that, I don't know. And, and how do you guys defend the always dark or always raining? You know, that's when they show it to us. It's like, come on, show him to us in the light, you big sissies. Like, the, I, I just, I was so mad that it was always obscured. Hire some better animators and turn on the lights. Yeah, so we can freaking see it, right? 
I have nothing more to they've, say. They've gone. I, I have nothing more to say here. It, this is just. They've gone dark. One sick puppy. <laughs> I got. I got what I wanted out of the movie. I had no further expectations from the trailers of anything more than than what I got from the movie. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's the best type of Godzilla movie you can make. And I am a fan of the original Godzilla movies. But honestly, I was not expecting it to be wall-to-wall Godzilla. I figured there was going to be a period of time when they're building up to why Godzilla, not why Godzilla, and why the you know building the story as to here's what here's what here's the reasons why these things are going to play out like they do. I, I went in fully expecting that, and I got exactly what I was expecting. And it is a summer movie. It's going to deliver more on a on a base level than it is going to challenge your intellect. And I was fine with that. I wasn't expecting anything more to me. It delivered exactly what I wanted. Nice. <laughs> well, this was to me, it was kind of like Howard's end, but with Godzilla in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Dave, that was for you. I was just stranding. <laughs> Get your goat there. Why is Wolfman Josh all quiet? You act like this is new, Josh being frustrated with, with me and the likes uh, of me and one sick puppy. I was puppy. just waiting my turn, politely waiting my turn okay. to rain hellfire down upon you. You could have had 20 minutes build up and then, what was this movie, like an hour and 45 minutes? Now it's two God's, hours. Two hours. It was, it was two hours. And yep. if you're lucky, Godzilla's in 20 minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. If you I really actually didn't. count it up. I don't know. Maybe I'm more used to modern movies. I didn't expect more. I really didn't expect it could have been to be a, in more. It could have been a much shorter movie. You could have had 20 minutes build up, and you could have had 10 minutes aftermath, and the rest of it could have been monster fights. And that's what I wanted. That's what I expected. I don't give a shit. That's what I want in a Godzilla movie. No. I don't think a modern Godzilla movie would even would even think about going that route, to be honest with you. Because well, I don't think if well, th- th- I I mean, Dave, why do you say that though? Because there are so many cheesy movies that are strictly just action oriented in these modern times. I mean, we complain about this all the time about how the cinema has become dumbed down. So why do you not think a modern Godzilla would even try that? Because because I don't I don't I honestly uh, well look at the history of uh, look at the way that the, the, a lot of these movies are structured. Even something like the Avengers. They're not, it's not constant action. There are plenty of scenes where they're sitting around trying to, you know, getting to know each other, getting, you know, getting uh, things set up with Loki and, and all this other stuff. It's not like the Avengers is wall to wall action. That opens it's with not an like, action set piece. Though. It opened. Okay. Uh, right. But you've got yeah. the characters on screen that are actually doing this. Yeah, the I leads. mean, it's, it's interesting how Captain America is dealing with coming out of an ice cube after 40, 50 years. Yeah, but they had but, already given you know, each of them their own movie to, to do all this work. So, like, they, they gave them their own movie. This only took 45 minutes. It didn't make you watch an entire other Godzilla movie to tell the backstory. Right, but I'm saying for the, for the majority of the movie, the Avengers are on the screen. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily breaking stuff, but... You go to the Avengers to see the Avengers, and you get to see them. You this go to a Godzilla a movie and get twenty minutes. And the Avengers just, can talk; they're human. They're human beings that talk to each other. Godzilla doesn't have a very striking film presence as a character for a character introduction. 
But he does have a striking pr- film no, presence. Not as your lead character. And Jason. that's what we're lamenting because his not screen presence. How can you say he doesn't have a screen presence? <laughs> it's awe inspiring. If, if he's made like, there's like 40 Godzilla movies, <laughs> 35 Godzilla movies. Wow. If he didn't have any screen 28 presence. 28 Godzilla movies. Well, regardless, I mean, he's got to have some kind of screen presence or they wouldn't keep making them. Look, I know he's well, good at smashing buildings. I'm them. saying he's not a good romantic lead. I mean, <laughs> they, there was a there was a period of time when they were making them, but then they didn't make them. Um, you know, and over in Japan, I guess they kept making them into the '90s. But we haven't had one over here since '98, and I can't even say that that was a Godzilla movie. That was Godzilla in name only. That <laughs> was just a giant monster movie that yes. that happened to be named Godzilla. It had Lost no connection whatsoever. In- and, once and the puppy. only reason we didn't have one since then is because they screwed that one up so bad. Well, the, I'm not going to disagree with you there. That was that was a fiasco. Are you, are Jason you, liked it. Actually, I will say on, and I'm gonna. This is controversial. Even though the 1998 film was totally stupid, it had a lot of offensively stupid things. I actually found it more entertaining overall than this film. Like I was because, more entertained. Did you see Godzilla more in that one? Yes, I, don't I did. Seeing him more, yeah. I think so. Yes. Really? So that made it a better movie to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I went to see a Godzilla movie. It was called Godzilla. But one sick puppy, I wanted to tell you something. If you're looking for a romantic mo- monster movie, this is not the one. You need to see Monsters. That's a romance <laughs> monster movie. I mean, you're looking at the wrong place. I'm just Josh. Well, Josh, how have you not, Josh, how have you not opened a vein by this point? <laughs> Apparently, so it's just the way so, he like, makes movies annoying. is to name his movie after something and then show it for 15 minutes <laughs> and then face a whole bunch of other crap, <laughs> throw a bunch of other stuff he wrote in for another movie. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, mm-hmm. it reminds me of when we fought forever on the dorm that dripped blood about how they're talking about cleaning over the break. <laughs> yes, I understand that. because, But you seem to think that there was 20 minutes of movie dedicated to cleaning over the break, whereas there was not. <laughs> no, I'm saying there was 45 minutes dedicated in this movie to cleaning over the break, so to oh, speak, okay. with all the radiation okay. talk and all uh, that stuff. Oh, my gosh. It's buildup, Jason. Yeah, it, it was. You and have I, to I have, really, you have it's to only buildup if you deliver on it. But mm-hmm. I didn't find any of delivered in spades. Yeah, I didn't find any of that uninteresting. You know, with with uh, not okay. at all. I, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was at least enough to carry us to when we were going to. And I knew, you know, at some point we're going to get the monsters. And I figured that was enough to carry us. It, it was not bad. I, I didn't have a problem with that. Defend this then. Case in point. Here's here's the exact <clears throat> problem. We finally get to see. And Josh already heard me say this before. We finally get to see Godzilla square off against another monster. And as soon as they show them about to start fighting, the camera goes off of them. They get like... Yeah, they, you, you think he's not aware, the director's not aware of that, Jason? I know. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, funny. Why did he do that? That was so dumb. How is that it's, funny? It's so... It's hilarious. It's it comes like, to the news and the mom's like, what are you watching in there? It's... it's it, it's not funny. It's like, okay, this thing that all these people have paid to come and see and invested their time and money to see in my movie, I'm going to take it out to, from under them. Trying, <laughs> because he's trying not to make it obvious and schlocky. He's trying to do something interesting with the material. 
It's more and interesting don't make to me. A Godzilla movie because that's not the formula for a Godzilla. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying he made a great career move by agreeing to do this movie, but I'm saying he probably made the best Godzilla movie he could make. I don't. I don't think. Well, I don't think there's anybody out there except for maybe Guillermo del Toro who could have made a better Godzilla movie right now. Well, I won't argue that the guy didn't do his best. I'm just. I'm just arguing that that was um, unwise to take away what we wanted to see most. You know. Kind of Jim Jarmusch would have made a better Godzilla movie than this. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think well, that's true at all. No, no. <laughs> honestly, I, I just, <clears throat> I don't think, I think that the Godzilla formula worked fine in the fifties and sixties. Um, I don't think you could update it to to, to a modern audience. Uh, I, I don't think it would work as just simply having Godzilla trance around and and every and all the people be sort of like little supporting the running around underneath them. I don't think it would work nowadays. I don't I see how you don't. say that though, because that is practically all the sci-fi. Well, okay, let's look at it this way: you, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. Are you seriously yeah, going to pull, pull <laughs> up? No, but I, you're saying the, the, you're the, saying the that there's not they put out on the Sci-Fi Channel. You no, you're saying, saying there's, a good there's not an audience for it. You're saying there's no I'm audience saying, for it. Oh my God, that stuff! That stuff is 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 repulsively obscene. It's 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 horrifically stupid. It's, they make Dave's bad movies. Absolutely right. But look at the look at the You know what? Yeah. I will agree with you. If they wanted to set out to make a bad Godzilla movie, they could have done it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's sure, not what yeah, I'm saying. If, if, what I'm saying is, you're saying that it wouldn't have worked today. But I'm saying that all these people are constantly watching these movies and talking about these movies. Hey, so there is obviously an for audience free, for that kind of movie TV. for free on TV. How many so of you those don't have think that they would like cinema? to see one made with a big budget and done no, right? I, I, honestly, a small <laughs> group of people. Okay, that's, that is that's a very a small group of people. There's birth. no way. There's no way that a studio would gear a movie towards those people and think they're going to make a hundred million dollars. Godzilla made ninety ninety three point two million dollars in its opening weekend. I can't. Now, Let's see what Sharknado made. Oh yeah, that's a fair comparison. Nice. <laughs> He's saying there's Josh. an there's an audience for it. He's saying there's. Well, an I'm just I'm curious what Godzilla will make in its second weekend though. When this podcast releases, I mean, the, well, during the you second. have a, you have the new X Men movie coming out, so obviously it's going to be a significant drop, but. Yeah. Not if it's that great movie that you guys were talking about with oh. all that character it's the, development. It's the summer months. Tell me any movie that in the summer months when they have a, a new blockbuster coming out week in and week out where that, that movie carries over. <laughs> Come on. Whatever. It's either a good movie or it's not. If it's a good and movie, it'll carry itself. While Josh is looking up that that information. Oh, do you really want me to find out how much Sharknado made? Hey, bring it on. I'm I'm curious. Uh, it took in less than two hundred thousand dollars in the box office. <laughs> but that was that had a significantly smaller. But everybody release. on Twitter is talking about it. Of course, it had a small release because it's a piece of crap. Well, I'm just saying. How are you going to compare box office numbers? When it I, didn't have all, all right, that well, here's muscle. another one. Here's <laughs> another one that everybody back. I don't know if you remember back in 2006, Snakes on a Plane. I'm not. There's a there's a movie that everyone was saying, wow, and there was such a buzz on the internet, <laughs> and all the fanboys couldn't wait for that movie to come out, and they were expecting a huge opening weekend for sharp, for Snakes on a Plane. They thought it was going to make all this money, and its opening weekend it made 15 million dollars, which was significantly less than they were expecting <laughs> on 3,500 screens. It made 15 million dollars. 
Look, if I you, love you know, snakes on a plane. It's I, and you know what? I enjoyed you, snakes on a plane, too. I honestly did. But that was geared towards that crowd, towards that group of people who are looking for that kind of movie. And they didn't come audience. out. They didn't come out and deliver. It's not as big an audience as, as I guess, even the people in, in the audience would like it to be. And I'll be honest with you. There are some of the, the sci-fi movies. I get a blast out of watching some of them. Because of the quality of them. Like, I absolutely loved watching Mega Piranha. It was a pure piece of crap, but it was fun. And you could sit there and you could, it's one of those great movies you can have. And you could sit there and have some beers with some friends and you could poke fun at it. It's a lot of fun. But I would not pay money to go see it in the theater. And the only, you know, Godzilla movie you're going to get that's in the style of Mega Piranha is going to be made for the same budget as Mega Piranha. That's the thing. It's like, look, unfortunately, we don't represent the majority of the audience. And that's the case for any independently made film. You know, they're trying to make movies for the biggest demographic possible and as many demographics as possible. And they're trying to make, that's what blockbusters are all about. They're trying to make movies for everybody, three quadrant movies. And that's just not, you know, a lot of fans of horror films and independent films don't fit into that category, but we're not going to get those types of movies made. It's just the reality of the situation. Well, all right. Well, as we wrap up here, because we got to keep on moving <laughs> on this, um, I will say, you guys, there were there were things to admire for sure, and especially at the end, you know, the finale battles, the finale kills were great. So, I mean, there were things that I really did enjoy. I, I guess overall, I was just disappointed. So, as far as ratings go, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up here with our summary. And I, I'll go first because I, I may be the lowest. Me or one sick puppy, I don't know. But obviously it's not scary, not a horror film, but it is a giant monster movie. And it's probably, I will say this, it is probably the the best made film, you know, the most well-made of all the Godzilla movies that I've seen. I'm just saying it's not the most entertaining. So for me, it's a 4.5 out of 10, but I still give it a low priority rental. That's where I am. What do you, what do you say, Doctor Shock? Uh, I'm going to give it. Uh, I'll give it a seven out of ten. It, I, it delivered on what I expect. Yes, it, it it does have its issues, um, and I I don't disagree that they could have lost um, some of what it was doing later in the movie. I didn't have a lot of problem with what is was at the beginning, but I thought a little later in the movie it could have dropped some of what was going on um, with that other character. Um, and, but as far as what I was expecting when I went into the theater, it delivered. And I am a fan of the original Godzilla movies. I, I do enjoy them. Um, but as far as what I was expecting out of a modern Godzilla movie, I got it, but I'd say seven. I'm just going to say rental at this point because I've only seen it once and I don't really, you know, I'd like to see it again before I would say it to anybody. Yeah, I think it's worth buying. Do you so say I would say it's a rental. Should people see it in the theaters while it's still there? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would, uh, I would recommend. I think seeing it on a big screen would, would, would add to the, uh, to the enjoyment of it. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. And what about you, one sick puppy? I'm gonna have to say, this is not a a poorly made movie. It's a poorly made Godzilla movie. So. I'm going to rate it as a five. I'm going to say, don't buy it. You don't necessarily have to see it in the theater. If you're a hardcore Godzilla fan, you're going to be disappointed 100%. And you just see it because they made it. 
basically. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I went in with really high expectations. Maybe that's my own fault. But I see Godzilla in the title, and I'm expecting a throwdown. So as a Godzilla movie, this is not what I wanted. So you're saying it's a five and it's a rental. Okay. And what about you, Wolfman Josh? Oh, you guys just make me so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, by the way, Jason, did you look at those pictures I sent you of the th- original fat, portly Godzilla and the current sleek Godzilla? Yeah, are, are these um, your toys or are these Willis's toys? <laughs> these, these are like toys of Godzilla. Those are photos off the internet, but they're the character models. One is actually from one is actually from a film. The other is is a model. But mm-hmm. well, even the new one has a giant, giantly fat tail, and that's what yes, really but not compared me. not compared to the original. I mean, just because the first Godzilla has a little bit of cellulite on his thighs, I mean, you're being okay. Critical. Well, you, you, you know, apparently you're a huge <laughs> fan of the '98 Godzilla, so why don't you go watch that movie? <laughs> and while you're watching that, it's I'll m- give my final thoughts on this. It's more entertaining. Go ahead. Okay. Um. I, Listen, I am a huge fan of schlocky movies. I like crappy monster movies. I like monsters in general. Uh, Godzilla, I'm a big fan of Godzilla. I've been watching it since I was a little kid on cable. And then as a collector later in life, started buying up my favorite Godzilla films. Um, For anyone like me who was still nursing their wounds from the tragic event that was the 1998 Godzilla, this should give you a little bright step in your whatever <laughs> solace <laughs> solace it, it should it should make you feel a little bit better about your day this is the this is godzilla done as right as it's ever going to be done by a major hollywood studio you know it's not unless a you know a japanese company makes godzilla you're not going to get anything that's better than this in a major motion picture um i think we should all be thankful that we got this version of godzilla it's not a horror movie. As a horror movie, I'd say it's a void. But as a big budget summer movie, I'd say it's a seven. Watch it in the theater on the biggest screen you can. Uh, and then it's probably a rental after that. Wow. I'm surprised. So you're not going to buy this? No. Okay. Well, I don't know. I might, I, might, I might eventually, I guess, for the collection. But it's not like a yeah. It's not a high priority fil- purchase for me. I got you. Okay. Well, guys, that was really fun to review Godzilla with all of you, and I'm sure we'll. Yeah, hear and I, I need a nap now, and then now we got now we got to get into the rest of the show. I know. I'm like, I can't believe we still got a lot more to record, but I do want to thank One Sick Puppy from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast for taking the time to join us here. I hope you had a good time fighting with us about Godzilla. <laughs> what What are your final thoughts before you take off, One Sick Puppy? I'm just speechless. <laughs> Why are you speechless? <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys. <laughs> I've got bodies to bury, so I'm going to go now. <laughs> but thank you for having me on. I always enjoy being on your show, and uh, I consider it an honor. But uh, Godzilla, this ain't. It's <laughs> a battle royale of... Uh... The monsters of podcasting. There was more fighting on this podcast than there wasn't a Godzilla movie. <laughs> oh, amen. I agree with that. Now, um, where can but the again? Liz- I was ex- I was expecting that. Yeah. Well, of course, it's us. I mean, <laughs> what else are we gonna do? So check him out at That Is Hell Horror Podcast. And uh, thanks, buddy. You have a good night. It was great talking to you. 
Good night, gentlemen. <laughs> and take care. So at this point, we'll move into our feature review of Blood Glacier. This is a new film, 2014 film that just came out. It's actually a Beastly Freaks movie. And it's an Austrian film, so it's in German. But it is subtitled, but I happen to see the dubbed version. I don't know why. Yeah, what. me too. That uh, sucked. Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, how do you say? I mean, the, the, the dubs are passable, I guess. I would have rather read the subtitles because I, I still thought the dubs in this were distracting. Yeah, me too. That sucked. Yeah, that did suck. So, yeah. If, if you, you can find it, yeah, in the original language, definitely watch it that way. Yeah, subtitled it, for sure. And in terms of okay. a premise, this is about scientists working in the Austrian Alps discover that a glacier is leaking a liquid that appears to be affecting local wildlife. That's from IMDb, and I actually kind of like that. Okay, Josh. Spoiler alert, the liquid is blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> In case people didn't know. Okay, now, Josh, obviously this is kind of, it's it has a little bit of, like, isolation to it. It's one of those kind of mm -hmm. films that's very reminiscent of John Carpenter's The Thing. And, in fact... I think that's yeah. a lot of what they were going for, except so it's a lot like the thing, except this movie to me is not even anywhere in the same <laughs> continent as the thing. But um, I want to hear your thoughts, what you thought of Blood Glacier. Well, like, comparing it to the thing really does this film a disservice for sure. Um, it's uh, it's a fun little indie horror film. Um I think there are some really good things about it. I, I like the setting. I'm a sucker for snowy settings mm -hmm. in general. Um, I'm a sucker for kind of like scientists in snowy settings and, <laughs> and kind of like backpacking kind of adventurous kind of things. And so this had a, a little bit of all the things I like in it. Um, the Beastly Freaks are also comparable to the thing in, in some way that they're kind of these mutated combinations of creatures. Um, I hope that I don't think that's a spoiler necessarily to say, but mm -hmm. um, no, they are um, you know pretty grotesque, and so I think as the Beastly Freaks movie, I think it's pretty solid, especially compared to other kind of movies that I would compare this to in recent years um, of its type. But yeah, if you compare it to the Thing, then it's it's a really rough comparison. Well, and in fact, what you said there. Josh, I want to take a little bit of a film critic's liberty here and hope that the listeners will trust me on this. In fact, had I known that, you know, basically what you're dealing with are muta mutated species that are found locally in that environment, but they're mutated. Mm -hmm. If I had known that, I would have enjoyed this film so much more. So I just threw that out there just now. I mean, they kind of reveal that as it goes, but I don't consider it a spoiler. In fact, I think it hurt the film that I didn't know that because I just kept trying to figure out and decipher what in the heck are these things. But had I known that, that you know, the creatures, the local wildlife was being mutated, I, I would have been... You, miss, you must have missed it because they mentioned it pretty early on, like within the first... Really? Okay. Well, the maybe second or third attack, you know what, what you're dealing with. There. But the look of the creatures, I mean, because like I wrote down some descriptions. I mean, some of them, I mean, a lot of them are like blends, okay? I mean, yeah. did you did you feel that way too? They're like blends mm -hmm. of different things. 
Um, Again, it reminded me of kind of with the thing, how it's kind of like you look like you're seeing a couple different types of monsters kind of mashed together. Yeah, I think that's a great description. But also, um, you know, unfortunately, there are times like there's a scene, I don't know if it's called a gazelle <laughs> or what it is, but <laughs> but it almost, the way that thing looks, it reminds me of the goat in Drag Me to Hell. And it even though this is not a comedy horror film, it has moments because of the look of the creatures. They're a little bit silly looking. I mean, sometimes they're scary and grotesque, but other times they're silly. And and so it almost gave it the wrong vibe that they were not going for to me. What do you think? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'd say they're silly. I thought they're pretty gross and grotesque. Even the gazelle. I mean, it's tricky. I don't know the gazelle. Yeah, maybe that's borderline. It's it's a, it's a <laughs> tricky thing to do. I mean, I think you could even say the th- in the thing they they can look a little silly. You know, if you're looking at it with the lights on in the daytime, you know, it doesn't look, but you know, it's, uh, I don't well, know. all if those to, are scary to suspend your disbelief a little bit, I guess. Well, sure. But there is a scene in this, which there's I think. There's not enough goo on them. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, but there, there's a scene in this. Or KY. That's <laughs> exceptional. There's a flying beastly freak <clears throat> that looks like a gargoyle kind of, and it attacks from the sky. And, um, that scene is actually scary. I mean, I think that's an, a very powerful and effective scene. Were you impressed with that? Yeah, like I, I like this movie. I enjoyed it generally quite a bit. But Over, th- sorry, I'm just no, there, no. Again, again, I honestly, I didn't even think of the thing comparison. But the second you said it, it's so obviously connected to the thing. But. Yeah. Well, one more thing about the creatures, because again, like we discussed earlier, in a mo- in the in a beastly freak movie, I mean, that's part of it is how they look. There is a bird that reminds me of like the puppets in the Dark Crystal, <laughs> like a little bit. So I was having these, I guess, bad associations, but you know, which is not the film's fault necessarily, but you know, it's just what it made me think of. But as a filmmaker, Josh, I wanted to ask you, what did you think of the red filter shots that they would put? Like they put the red filter over the whole screen. Did you think that that, did you like that or what? I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have thought of that myself. And so I'm always interested to see when people try something like that. Yeah. And I thought the blood, the look of the blood glacier also in its blood form was really interesting looking as well. Yeah. That looked very cool actually. But um, Dr. Shock, did you see this movie? No, I did not, unfortunately. Well, let me. I didn't t- get a chance to say it. Let me tell you. But I, if you're comparing it to the thing, the thing is is one of my three favorite horror movies of all time. John Carpenter's the thing, obviously. Right. Absolutely. Well, if you do see it, and especially if you see the English dubbed version, mm-hmm. this movie, I will say this for it, Josh. It has what is potentially the funniest line, unintentional line, I have ever heard in a horror movie. I burst out laughing like super hard when I saw this. So let me just set up the scene and I've got the clip here so you can hear the line. (laughs) They're holed up kind of in this room and there are monsters outside attacking. There's chaos. And one woman is standing kind of in the background and she's kind of sobbing and I guess she's eating a banana. And there's another woman who's a very strong personality and she scolds her um, for crying while she's eating the banana and it is freaking hilarious. Now, this might be a little jarring to you because, like, when I play this clip, it's going to go straight into screaming. So be ready. Stop eating that banana while you're crying! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, guys, hear it again. And this time, pay attention to the woman who's eating the banana. Pay attention to her voice. 
Stop eating that banana while you're crying! <laughs> now, again, part of that we have to say is because of the bad English dubbing. Right. But I do think that la- that older lady is intended to be funny. I think her craziness is intended to be kind of like comical. Right. Not is it not it's not a comedy movie, but she's intended to be like a super annoying character, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like I I, I just I could not stop laughing. But my biggest criticism, and then we'll wrap up our review of this. My biggest criticism of this film has to be, I guess, what you would call the pace, because it's like it's dead and then there's action and then it's dead and then action, dead action. It just keeps going back and forth. There's no build up for me. It just kind of happens. And so um, for that reason, for me, this film's overall. I would establish that you hate build up. No, 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 no. I'm saying I, I have no time for story. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know how certain movies will actually kind of ramp and, and like escalate in their like Godzilla. No, not like that. <laughs> That's a snooze fest for 45 minutes. And when it's you ramping, there's ramping. <laughs> no, I'm it's talking about this rampant ramping with genuine suspense and, and actual <laughs> things happen. I'm glad you weren't involved with psycho. We would have gone right to the Bates motel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the scary part. So, anyways, so for me, this this film here, Blood Glacier, it's a four out of ten. It's an avoid. But I do say I appreciate the jump scare at the very end. What do you give it, Josh? What did you? It's an avoid? You think this is an avoid, did you say? Yeah, honestly. Well, uh, it's pretty solid. I think it's a solid rental for horror fans, especially if you like your beastly freaks. Um, it's uh, better than a lot of similar films I've seen recently. And um, I'd, I'd probably give it a six and say rent it. Maybe a 5.5 and say rent it. Okay. But again, it, again, it's that thing comparison that it really hurts it. I think if you can forget Jason's... <laughs> it's recommendation on, there it's, it's unavoidable thinking about the thing to i'm me. trying to think of other movies that reminds me of what was a backpacking snow movie we just recently watched like cold prey cold prey uh, devil's pass cold, devil's pass um yeah compared to devil's pass i think this is a great movie for instance or that what's that movie you like about the hikers with the rock climbing stuff in it jason oh man high, high, high lane High Lane, that is a like great I would say this is movie. far better than this movie than that movie. Incorrect. So. No, <laughs> no, people watch High Lane. Amazing. <laughs> Anyways, anyway, it's it's not great, but it's you know it's kind of mid level sci fi horror. So you give it a five point five. You say rent it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. And now we'll move into our review of Frostbitten from two thousand six. Okay. So Josh, now this Frostbitten movie. Is something that I got to see courtesy of you, by the way. I still have your well, movies. But I, I saw courtesy of you, actually. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I uh, we were talking about um, our feral vampires, and you mentioned um, that this had a similar premise to 30 Days of Night, which immediately piqued my, piqued my interest because I'm such a huge fan of that premise. And so yes. I, I literally, I think I logged on while we were recording the podcast and ordered this on Amazon um, because I was so interested in seeing it. And um yeah, it was quite different than I had expected. <laughs> That's true. Yes, this is a Swedish film. In case people don't know, it's called Frostbitten from 2006. And because it's Swedish, it is subtitled for those English speakers who watch it. And yes, as Josh mentioned, uh, there is that kind of that tie-in where they have polar night, where there is no daylight for a month. 
And this is supposed to be a um, horror comedy. And obviously, I guess we should mention this is a vamp, a vampire movie as well. Right, Josh? Did we say that? That's yeah, weird. That's it, weird. It is a vampire movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like we're like five minutes in and we didn't even say it's a vampire movie. Anyway. <laughs> Um, well, I mentioned the comparison to Feral Vamps and how it was similar to 30 Days of Night. Okay. Yeah. So definitely a vampire movie. It's but vamp- actually, I would say it's closer to Dead Snow if I had to actually find a film comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember you said that before I had seen it. And now that I've seen it, I'm like, well, yep. <clears throat> I think you're probably right about that. But but I loved Dead Snow. So mm-hmm. not as good as Dead Snow, right? Um, yeah, I, I was more disappointed in this because I was expecting 30 days of night, but I would say they're pretty comparable in terms of quality. This is more comedy though, I think than and yeah. and this, this is comedic in the parts that are supposed to be scary often. So which yeah, it's probably not as good as dead snow. Yeah. Which to me is kind of unfortunate because I don't love horror comedies, but see what's weird about that is. A lot of times when something's a horror comedy, I don't really think of it as such. And I guess that's because the tone doesn't really strike me. I mean, the tone is comedic, but it, it doesn't strike me as funny. It's like, for example, there's one moment where you see a um a, a silhouette that looks like somebody's going to use a hammer on someone else. But it's actually not a hammer. It's just something else. And you're like, oh, haha, you know, like that. It, you know, I mean, there are like little <laughs> dumb visual jokes and I, I didn't want to spoil that very slight yeah. little thing, but I could have. But but I'm just saying there are like little visual jokes there. And it's like, um, you know, like Josh, for example, let's talk about this film has a talking dog, right? Oh, does it ever. <laughs> In fact, this happens more than you'd um want it to because and initially... Because, again, I heard Josh review this, and then I watched the film for myself. And when I saw the dog talking, I'm like, oh, okay, well, this guy just took this drug, and so maybe this is associated with his drug trip. And it's not really great in a movie. <laughs> I don't love talking dogs in a movie, right? But I'm like, you know, it's associated with that. But the more you watch it, the more talking dogs you see. And it's it's not really necessarily related to a drug trip, per se. And I'm like... Now it's just stupid. So, so, Josh, what did you think of Frostbitten? I'll turn it over to you. Oh, I'm mean, you know, I've talked about this movie before. I, I liked it okay, but I was so sorely disappointed. I had a hard time overcoming those expectations. Again, they're killer guys. You know, you're expecting one thing, you get another thing. It's hard to get past that. Um, but it was, it was okay. It was a little, you know, I don't know. It was just a little too goofy for my for my tastes it's not it's not exactly my kind of movie and i was was hoping it would be but um it's not bad i can't i can't remember what i gave it before actually and now i'm kind of kicking myself because i i don't i'm not sure what i would give it now i'll try to look that up as we talk here but you know i will say for the vampire lovers out there vampire fans um it it does something a little bit unusual with how vampirism is passed on yeah, in this movie. Yeah. And and I guess that's, um, you know, I guess that's notable. I mean, I could see a vampire fan thinking in their mind, you know, 
well, I, I keep track of stuff like that, you know, vampire movies that are totally different. Like, like for example, I thought it was weird that this, even though there's no werewolf element in it, they do kind of focus on the full moon quite a bit. There are lots of full moon shots and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> you, you know, you know, I have, yeah. your, I have found your rating here for movie podcast weekly on this, Josh. So I'll, what did I give it? You gave it a five and said, rent it. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I'll stand by that. Yeah, yeah. And and that's funny, too, because that's what I give it to. I give it a 5 out of 10. I call it a low-priority rental. But um, just a couple other little notes then, and we'll move on. Um, The opening scene is very off-putting to me because it, it takes place, like, in the Ukraine in 1944 during the war. <clears throat> and it's like the German Army Scandinavian Volunteer Division. You got this small team, and... There's something that happens to them that's um, vampiric <laughs> in nature. And it's like, and then we cut to modern day. And that was so, um, it was such a jarring cut. And and all that was there for was to set something up later in the story, which doesn't pay off. So I wish, honestly, they'd just cut it all that stuff It pays off, but it's unnecessary. It's not. Yeah, it's unnecessary. The, payoff, the payoff's not particularly interesting. <laughs> well said. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Another thing this movie does is notable. They have vampire vision where, you know, when you see the subjective point of view from the monster that you see kind of through a red lens and you yeah. hear these feral growls. And um, this has a lot of pop culture references and a lot of American film quotes in it. Some throwaway jokes, one liners. But um, that's not like again. Yeah, absolutely. So that's true. That's a that's a pretty fair comparison. But for me. I would say this movie is so biz- like weird and bizarre and unconventional. It's, it reminds me of like one of those Elvira's movie macabre features, except it's foreign. And it kind of, str- to me, it strikes the same or a similar tone as the original Fright Night before that one gets like hmm. super scary. I mean, I see. That's a good, that's a good comparison, actually. Yeah. I mean, it feels. It's a very favorable comparison. I would y- say. Yeah. Fright Night's way better, of course. But I mean. And I'm talking about the original, what is it, 85 version. But but it does kind of um, remind me of that. So I think it captures that era of like mid-80s comedy horror. So that's why I give it a five and I say it's a low priority rental. But I think it's one of those horror films, Josh, that a lot of people haven't seen and will have not seen. So you could like see that for your horror cred and then talk to people about it, you know? Yeah. And I think it's something to see for completists out there. You know, um, the the thing I would say about it is, do you remember when zombies kind of got huge again after Dawn of the Dead and Shaun of the Dead uh, came out kind of back to back and 28 Days Later, obviously? Yes. But during that whole time period, then there was just a ton of zombie movies. And you could tell that several of them were made by people who had, like, never seen a zombie movie before. Yeah. They were so off on kind of the rules and the tones and and everything this kind of feels like that with vampires in a way it's kind of feels like it it kind of feels like it was just made by someone who's really never seen a vampire movie or maybe they've seen one a long time ago and so the bad part of that is they're not true to a lot of the things that vampire fans love about vampire movies you know they get a lot of the genre stuff wrong on the other hand as jason was saying they do innovate quite a bit and they bring a few new interesting ideas to the table um whether or not it's enough to kind of 
outweigh all the wonky stuff that's in it. I'm not sure, but I, I, you know, I will say I really enjoyed the setup of this movie. I love the setting in the hospital and the characters that were working in the hospital and all those things that were going on. And, um, but it just, it just continued to lose me more and more. I will also say there's a, it's very gory. So it delivers on the horror in that way. Um, even though the tone isn't particularly scary most of the time. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with you. I think that's very accurate what you just described. All right, Josh. Well, well done. I know you got to get going cause you're pretty spent, right? Yeah. Sorry guys. I just have been on the road for quite a while and this is my no first problem. No problem. And this and, and, our Godzilla review couldn't have couldn't have made couldn't have uh, made you any less tired. I think right, but I finally just felt like I'm starting to get into the swing of things, and it's time to sign off. But I'll leave you guys to it. Good luck and uh, good night. I suppose. Thank you. You gonna right, listen to the rest you. of this episode? Of course. Oh, okay. Well, I won't talk any smack then. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Have a good night, buddy. Right. Thanks. Awesome. See Bye. You. Take care. Have a good one. And then there were two. Yeah. Down to two. <laughs> All right, Dr. Shock. Now, um, you've been quiet for a while, so I'd like to turn it over to you, buddy, and see what you have for us. Okay, well, first thing I was going to talk about is a little movie from 1972 that I think some uh, people might have heard of called Blackula. <laughs> uh, this is, um, obviously, it's 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 uh, a black exploitation movie, which were, were very big back in the um, in the 70s. Um, for anyone who's not familiar, black exploitation was a term. It was actually uh, some people, you know, there are some people who find it offensive. Interestingly enough, it was coined by the NAACP uh, to describe the type of movies that were coming out at the time. It started, uh, I want to say, in 71 when Melvin Van Peebles released uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. That was the first, quote, black exploitation, unquote, movie. Um, that was made by an African-American um, taking a look at that experience of, of, of being an African-American male and, and, and in an urban environment. Um, interestingly enough, it was such a success that Shaft, which was going to be uh, a movie with an all-white cast, was then changed to um, be more along the lines of this, of this new, again, black exploitation <laughs> type that's type awesome. Of, uh, type of craze. And um, and I like Shaft. I really enjoy the movie, as a matter of fact. Uh, and then it was followed by a lot of other ones. But one of the things that a lot of the these these type of movies had in common was they were all uh, crime. They were they had the th- main theme was was crime, you know, dealing with the streets and so forth. I mean, all the really good ones, Black Caesar, Coffee, that was the theme. Blackula mixed it up by making a horror movie, you know, taking the, the sort of crime element out of it and replacing it with horror. And the basic story is um, this uh, African prince, and it, would say, it, it opens up in the, in the 17th century. This African prince named uh, Wamawalde, played by William Marshall, uh, has traveled to Europe with his wife, uh, Luva. Uh, he's trying to negotiate, uh, he's trying to bring an end to the slave trade is what he's trying to do. But uh, the first aristocrat he meets with when he arrives in Europe is Count Dracula, uh, who, um, well, puts the bite on him and um, turns him into a vampire. And then what he does is he locks him away in a coffin, uh, sort of, sort of uh, damning him twice. He turns him into a vampire, then locks him in a coffin for eternity, saying that you will spend eternity craving blood and unable to reach any. Oh, that's rough. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, so what happens is uh, 200 years later, these interior decorators, uh, very uh, effeminate characters, let's just leave it at that, um, almost offensively so, <laughs> uh, travel to Transylvania. They buy up um, – they travel to the castle of Count Dracula, buy up his old furniture. And one of the uh, antiques that they purchase happens to be uh, the coffin holding Wama Walde's remains. Now, one of the things Dracula also did was he locked um, – uh, his wife Luva in there with him, and she obviously not being a vampire, she she perished. So it's almost like Walmerwalda. He was stuck in there, unable to obtain blood, and listening to his wife slowly die, slowly starve to death, and pass away. So it was like a really very very bleak opening. Um, but anyway, um, these guys they pry open the coffin to see what's in it. They release him, and um, he. Uh, you know, they become, well, it's the beginning of the movie, but they become early victims of Blackula. Um, what happened? And then from there, uh, it gets into sort of, um, almost like a, like a typical sort of Van Helsing story. The Van Helsing in this movie is Dr. Gordon Thomas played by a uh, Thalmus Rasulala. Anybody who's familiar with the old sitcom, what's happening from the seventies will recognize him. Uh, he played, uh, Rogers, uh, Raj, um, Thomas's father, uh, you know, who was divorced from his mother, but in a few episodes he was he was in that show, and he was also in in the miniseries Roots. I think he played Punta Kinte's father in the in the African scenes in the early on in the movie. Uh, but anyway, he's a forensics expert working with the uh, L.A. Police Department. Um, he's the first one who notices that you know when he's looking at the victims, these people who had been murders murdered, he notices that they've been drained of their blood. Um, so while they're p- putting these clues together. Wama Walde spots a woman who resembles, looks almost identical to his wife, Luva. It just so happens that she is the sister of um, uh, Dr. Thomas's uh, girlfriend. And so the two of them end up spending some time together at this nightclub. And we get a lot, that's where a lot of the, the um, we get a lot of the, uh, you know, sort of funky music um, that you get from that time period. We, there's a, um, some live uh, performances by, I think it's the Hughes Corporation, performs some songs in this club. Um, but anyway, uh, the, what happens is Wama Walde is trying to get Tina, you know, to, is, is trying to get Tina to come with him, whereas Dr. Gordon um, and uh, the police chief uh, realize that something very strange is going on when not only are these bodies showing up drained of blood, but all of a sudden they're disappearing and nobody knows where they're going. Um, what I was really impressed with, with Blackula, I mm-hmm. mean, it does have the look and feel of a black exploitation film. There's no doubt about it, but that's the horror elements in it, at least some of them, not all of them, but some of them were very effective. I mean, there's one scene that's set in this uh, – I don't want to go too deep into it for spoilers, but there's this one scene set in a woman's house that has a very effective jump scare. I mean, it's not a cheap jump scare. I mean, this is one that, that you know, and, and, it's, and it's really – it really works. And the look of – obviously, what's happening to these people he's biting is they're becoming vampires. And the look of them and how they act – also, I mean, this would have, in a way, other than Blackula himself, dealing with the vampire, his minions, they would have fit into our Feral Vampires episode. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they are just animalistic. <laughs> nice. Okay. They're just, they're just crazed. 
um, and the look of them. You know, they, they almost have makeup that sort of reminded me of what um, Tom Savini ended up doing with Dawn of the Dead. You know, the look of the zombies in that movie. That's how these vampires, they rem- these vampires reminded me of that. Cool. Um, and there's even a, a really cool scene where the, this, this woman who'd been turned, she lures somebody in and you don't even know that she's been turned. It's, it's, there's a lot to it. Um, William Marshall is excellent, absolutely excellent as Blackula. Uh, he was a trained uh, Shakespearean actor, actually. And you can tell, I mean, his, his delivery is impeccable. He does come across, he has the bearing of a prince. And in the scenes where he is thirsty for blood, he goes through a physical transformation. And it resembles more like a wolf man than it does a vampire. But it still is a good look. And it does clue you in that, that he's becoming you know, this, this monster. Um, I was really surprised. I was expecting it to be more schlocky. Than okay. it turned out to be. Yeah. It actually it turned out to be, you know, a, a decent enough horror movie and a decent enough vampire movie. Yeah. Um, it sounds a little more straight, like, you know, it, it, straight it up. It is. And I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. Um, so I would give this one uh, a 7.5. And I would say it's, you know, definitely worth renting, definitely worth checking out. Um, it, you hear the title, even the title alone is going to lead you to believe, wow, this is just going to be almost, almost in the, in the area of a spoof. This is played completely straight. There is no, um, you know, comedy associated with the actual vampire story. Of course, there's going to be little bits of comedy here and there, but none of it as associated with, um, you know, Wama Walde and, and, you know, what's happening to him that is played entirely straight and and really quite effectively. Nice. Okay. So, um, where did you do? You, I assume you own this, probably, right? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yes, I, I do, and I would recommend. And I, now I'm interested because there is a, a a sequel that I own also called Scream Blackula Scream, um, that came out the very next year. Yeah. This is to be a pretty big hit. You know, people uh, really took to the um, to to the combination of of horror with with this type of filmmaking. Um, and I can see why, because it, it really was, I mean, it's not, it, it, and it does tend to, you know, there, there are parts of it towards the end, it falls apart a little bit and, and, um, you know, but, but for the, for the majority of it, I think it's, it's a really solid film. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm intrigued, especially since you said it's got animalistic feral vamps in it. So yeah. Awesome. All right. So, uh, what else you got for us, doc? All right. Um, actually, there was another one that I wanted to discuss that uh, is more along the lines of, well, it, it's, it's a documentary, but it does touch on uh, something that I think is very close to a lot of, uh, close to the hearts of a lot of uh, horror fans. It's uh, actually from 2006. It's a documentary, but it does touch on a, on a subject that a lot of horror fans I think would be interested in. And it's called American Scary. Um, Mm. this deals with horror hosts and the history of television horror hosts, uh, going all the way back to the fifties. Um, it's a very independent, you know, documentary that directed by John E. Hudgens. And that's what it does. It takes a look at these horror hosts. Now I, I have one from Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, Dr. Shock, 
the name that I've chosen is after my local horror host that I watched back in the 1970s. He was here in, Phil- in the Philadelphia area named Dr. Shock. He had Dr. Shock's Mad Theater or Horror Theater, depending on the film and sometimes the time of day where it was being shown. And he would come in, he would do some shtick, and then he would introduce the movie. And it was usually a movie like, you know, The Thing with Two Heads, um, <laughs> right. you know, with, with, um, with Rosie Greer and Ray Milland or something along those lines. Actually, The Thing with Two Heads is one that I, I specifically remember seeing um, on that show. Uh, but it turns out that these go all the way back, you know, to the 1950s. You know, obviously, Vampira uh, was a horror host mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess became, well, I wouldn't say famous, more infamous for her appearance in Ed Wood's playing Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> right. But uh, she did start, uh, she was uh, that, there was Zachary in New York, Goulardi out of Cleveland, um, and they would come out. They would introduce these movies. You know, they, what it was is a lot of people, they were getting these sort of cheap, schlocky movies. And they're thinking, how do we just show these things? You know, TV stations, like, we're getting these for free, but what do we do? And then they came up with, some of these people came up with the idea, well, I can introduce them. And that's sort of where the horror host was born. Um, is it, and it, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, maybe you're getting to this. Do they also cover Cassandra Peterson, Elvira? Yes. Yes, they do mention her, and I think I think she even makes um, a, a brief appearance in in the movie. But what it is, it takes it even up to nowadays. Now, obviously, the, the on network television, this is a thing of the past. You don't get this anymore, even on the what would be considered UHF stations of the past. Those shame. have all been bought up by networks like UPN and so forth. So there's not really any of that left. However, they are around on the internet. Okay, and you can find a lot of them. And I'm thinking Dr. Gang Green is out there and um, Anton Griffith. So they, they touches on the history, shows you the different cities and how like like where a lot of them are from um, and, and shows you like how they built up. And what's really interesting is one of the personalities interviewed in this who originally um, started with Goulardi in another venue was Tim Conway. He was a local Cleveland radio, a Cleveland television personality, and he sort of tied in with Ernie Anderson, the guy who played Gallardi. And what's what's really something is if you watch this movie, Ernie Anderson is the one for years on ABC who did the voiceover um, for when they would have a commercial for an upcoming show. They actually show him in the booth doing one of these for the Love Boat, and if you hear his voice, it is so recognizable from that time period as having been like the voice of ABC. Um, but this nice. is the man who was Goulardi in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> but and it does take you up to the to the modern hosts as well, where there's a lot of them. There are more hosts than you can uh, you would ima- you'd like to imagine out there on the internet for people to find. You know, and I think this movie would be a good place to start, and I think it would take you to a lot of those areas. And obviously, a lot of the movies they're showing are going to be, um, uh, you know, public domain movies. Okay, they, nobody's going to be able to afford to go out and get the rights to show anything other than that. Um, yeah. But still, to to know that this is still alive and well, even though it's not on TV anymore. Is is I liked it. I liked finding this this documentary. I liked finding out about that, um, and just learning about the history of, of this. You know, this very specific horror related uh, form of entertainment. Um, uh, and they even get into the whole uh, MST3K. Neat. Um, 
you know, they, 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 they talk with, with Joel, uh, from that and, 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 you know, how he was influenced by a lot of these guys, uh, from the past. And they, it, there, there were too many horror hosts around the country for them to cover them all. They don't even mention Dr. Shock, to be honest with you. Uh, um, they do mention this other one from Philadelphia who I do remember seeing, and she was actually on what was the NBC affiliate at the time, but it was like at one in the morning or something like that. Um, but, so there's a good possibility they don't mention your specific horror host. If you grew up with one, they might not mention it, but that's still it's still worth checking out. So it's from 2006. It is available on DVD. I don't know that it's available for download. And I'm not even sure about Blackula, to be honest with you, but it's worth seeking out, um, and it's called American Scary. Yeah, I saw it's on um, Netflix through the disc plan, and I saw it's on Amazon as well. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in fact, I'm very interested. I put this um, up near the top of my Netflix queue. So thank you. Yeah, I bet you Josh will check that out too if he hasn't seen it already. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's worth checking out. That's really cool. How'd you learn about that one? Um, I actually heard about it on a podcast, and I can't. It was years ago. I can't remember which one now, but I remember it being discussed on a podcast. And I remember thinking, wow, that, that would be really something I'd be interested in checking out. And um, I put it on the blog recently. I had seen it prior to that. Uh, and I just thought it was, it was just really interesting. And what's interesting is when they're interviewing these, these modern-day hosts, they're completely in character, oh, uh, which, which makes it a lot of fun. You know, there's one guy who is a werewolf, and he is dressed like a werewolf, and he's interviewed, and he's talking like a regular person, but he is dressed like a werewolf, and it's really pretty cool. I miss that, honestly. Like, I remember, um, I totally remember this, and I used to watch watch these kind of things. Like, El- Elvira was probably my biggest one, the, the most common mm-hmm. one that I saw. But, right. But, mm-hmm. like, the USA Network, I remember they'd have, um, I was Commander- so, what'd you say? Commander something was that it on USA I've, up all night? Yeah, yeah, up all night. Um, that yeah. sounds familiar. I was so little, I don't even remember the names, but but it's okay. just like the tagline on this. Um, the cover to this it says it's about that favorite show you forgot you loved, and that's exactly right. right. That's how <laughs> I feel about this. So I feel really nostalgic just um hearing about it, and I'm gonna check it out for sure. Absolutely, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and 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 pretty informative too. What's your rating on that? Just curious. I would give that one. Um, I'm going to give that one an eight, actually. Okay. You no, know, I'll give it an eight. I'm. I, these are all going to be rentals. Um, I think maybe I'm getting a little gun shy. I, I was looking at some of the comments in there, and um, you know, we. Oh yeah, we're uh, going to talk about that. Are some of our recommendations people went out and purchased and. Uh, um, yeah. Well, since you <laughs> brought you since you brought that, that up, um, let's just. Because I had that on the agenda to talk about. Okay. So do you have a second to talk about that right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. Okay. So just to give people a little context on this. In episode 12, Dr. Shock and I reviewed Damien Leone's All Hallows Eve. And and I rated it a 7 and said, buy it. And Dr. Shock gave it a 7.5 and said, buy it. And Doc, as you, as you saw, we had some very patient and very kind... I don't know if you'd call them complaints, but right. <laughs> people saying that, you know, well, we had led them to All Hallows Eve. And for instance, we had one here from KTL's nephew, a.k.a. Jace, a.k.a. his dinners in the oven. He wrote, however, on the subject of buying films blind, 
I bought All Hallows Eve a couple of weeks ago, and well, for what might be the first time, I find myself agreeing with the venerable Bill Shetty, 100%. (laughs) Glad I saw it, but, well, that's an entirely different post, he writes. And And then the dude also wrote, you know, in that comment stream, he said, I rented All Hallows Eve after hearing the review on this podcast. Boy, was I happy that I rented it and didn't buy it. <laughs> With the exception of the final story, I found it a little flat. I think that they would have been better suited to expand that third story into a feature-length film. You can still leave the babysitting trope in instead of those other two stories. Seriously, what was with that second story? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, like, what, tell me your thoughts when you read this. Were you like... <laughs> um, I, well, it's, it's like... The first thing that, that leaps into your mind is, wow, you know, we've we've steered people to purchase a movie. They they now own it. That um, you know that uh, obviously it's an investment to to, to get a movie. Um, even even if you pick it up cheap, it's it's still probably cheaper to rent it. Um, so it's it's made me a little bit gun shy to, to sell people because I and 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 it's really an honor that that. People would would take our recommendations to heart like that, mm-hmm. um, but I think then and then it kind of comes back on me. It's like, wow, you know. I mean, I would personally, I would still, I would still call that movie. Uh, I would not change my rating on that movie. I really did enjoy it. I wasn't as bothered by the the second uh, story. I, I do understand the third is definitely the best. Would I like to see a full length movie based around that character that? And that type of uh, that type of uh, you know story from that third segment, absolutely. And I agree. I think you could leave the babysitting uh, portion of that in there mm-hmm. and make that part of the film. And I think it could still be very effective. Yeah. Uh, for me, the clown was definitely one of the creepiest parts of that movie. Yes. And the third one is what features him. Um, but I did under I did, the second one. I don't mind those type of of alien stories. The alien was unusual. I'll give you that. And I could see how some people might find it more comical uh, than frightening. Um, personally, I thought that the lead actress uh, in that did a fair enough job to, to make it seem more, more scary. Uh, and the first one was maybe a little bit more of a throwaway, but it was sort of a nod to me to like Rosemary's Baby. And I kind of enjoyed it on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would still give that movie the, the same type of rating, but by the same token, it does make you think, wow, I'm, I feel a little bad pushing. And it's, it's funny because I think we did the same thing with, with John Gale. You oh, know, yeah. We were discussing that movie. I think, but we didn't tell anybody to buy that one in our That's defense. true. That's <laughs> except, true. I mean, except for one sick puppy, I did kind of push him into buying it. Yes, and I did feel bad that you, that you did that after we saw it. Um, <laughs> But well, I think I think that movie all of a sudden got a spike that that uh, seriously I hope we did not all of a sudden inspire a, a John Gale four. <laughs> Maybe we did, but I'm that gonna... was the worst result of of <laughs> of us covering that movie. I want to tell his dinners in the oven. Yes, I I I'm sad. I'm sad that he didn't like it, and I'm honored that he bought it because we were talking about it on this podcast. Right. So that that was really nice. But um, let me see. I guess. You could send it to me. No, I'm just kidding. But the, in all seriousness, though, I love that. That's um, that's one of those movies that's a point to the bleachers kind of movie where I'm thinking, um, I think that character's going to be big. I think somebody's going to take that movie and they're going to do it right. And then on that glorious day when his dinner's in the oven has that film 
and he has the original incarnation of that clown, I Uh think that'll be awesome. And in fact, I just want to say that we did get an email from Holly, and I'm not making this up. (laughs) And she said, so after finding your podcast... I've been catching up on your shows, and I just listened to the episode where Jay of the Dead briefly talked about All Hallows' Eve. I rented it, and I was pleasantly creeped out. Art the Clown is terrifying. It was worth the rent, and I will gladly add this to my October horror movie list. So, um, <laughs> anyway, oh, I just want to tell Holly thanks, and I say buy it. No, I'm just right. kidding. <laughs> but, but I, 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 you know what? And they, they were very um, – it's – they certainly were very respectful with their comments. Oh yeah, you know, I've read them verbatim as to as to what was what was said, and you know, but for it's sure. still it's still just for me personally. I'm like, Ugh, you know, I don't like to to if if uh, it's going to happen where you're going to like a movie that someone else is not going to like. There's no two people in the world that like everything, um, you know, the same, and you just deal with that. Um, but there's something about when you tell people to buy a movie. <laughs> I don't know. I just take that as a little more of a responsibility than, than as a throwaway, you know, just, Oh yeah, buy it. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because people are, people are putting their hard earned money into it. Um, but what's they're doing, even if they rent it, I guess it's just not, you're not making a commitment. You know, you're, you're not making shelf space for it at that point. You know? Well, that's true. But, um, honestly, like the prices are so close in well, a lot of true. instances to, between buying it and renting it. And in the like, case of this movie, I think that that is true. Yeah. I think this movie is is well under $10 to buy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah, that's interesting. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry those guys were sad and they didn't like it. But yeah, yeah I guess that's that, the... But it, it, it that's happens. The, that's the hazard of film criticism, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it, it is. And it, it happens. People, we're not going to... You know, I mean, I've been getting some great comments from um, from David over at the, at the blog on my blog. Oh yeah. Um, you know, who also uh, you know is 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 very active in in the uh, in in the comments uh, board, and I'm getting some great comments. And and he hasn't agreed with me on everything. I posted a review of, of Ghost Story, um, you know, the movie from 1981 that I really liked the cast, but I thought that the the movie itself um, was a little predictable, and I thought that was probably its biggest fault. And he didn't agree. You know, he he really enjoyed the atmosphere of that movie and so forth, and and that's fine. And that's what I really like about podcasting, and even with the with the uh, with the with the community that we're putting together here is people will give their opinions mm-hmm. and that. and engage in discussions about it. And um, sometimes they might get a little heated. Listen to the beginning of this episode, <laughs> but there's still always a level of respect there. I think, and um, it it makes it a lot of fun, uh, you know. And I. I appreciate having this community because I don't, I think none of us, there's a lot of us here who don't have it outside of this, you know, and I'm definitely one of them. Like, um, I'm the only one in my family who enjoys horror movies Mm -hmm. and I'm not even just talking my, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my wife and kids, I'm talking my extended family. I'm probably the same boat. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's just nobody who I can sit down and discuss these with. So it's great to have this community and know we're not going to agree all the time. And, and I think that's one of, the, one of the strengths of having this. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, in our comment section, Doc, for episode 16, we had a lot of great comments there. Um, Gertie Wordy asked if anybody checked out Rosemary's Baby, the TV miniseries starring oh, Zoe Saldana. To. Yeah, I meant to, but I didn't because I, I, 
I'd like Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think she's a, she's a good actress, and I think she would be great in that role. And I really did want to see it. I missed the first one because I was working. Um, so yeah. you know, what's the point? Obviously, I know it's going to probably replay, and I think it'll be available on DVD at some point as well. Yeah. Now, now my understanding is it was just going to be like a a, a short mini series. It's not going to be. Um. I mean, is that right? Because oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's it's almost like. Uh, it's a, it is like a mini series, almost like what Salem's Lot was. Okay, way. yeah, because I was confused. A couple nights, because on on Amazon they had it listed as like they they had it there, and it says season one, and I'm like, uh-huh. okay, why does it say season one? It kind of threw me off. So, well, I think I mean I think that's I'm pretty sure that it's just a mini series. That that's what it's going to be. I I don't think it's a series. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could make a series around it. But I don't think that's what they're doing here. I think yeah. it's more like a, just sort of a television adaptation. That was my understanding. Story. Yeah, and it was going to be like a little bit longer, you know, right. long form. But yeah, so Gertie Wordy, if if you got to see it, I think Gertie Wordy was planning on seeing it. Let us know what you think about it. And it's actually because of your comment there, um, I'm going to be checking it out and reporting back on this podcast. So great. There you go. And then um, one other thing, and then we'll hear your next review. Um, we, we we talked about this a little before on a previous episode, but the dude left this comment and he said, I thought that I would share this here, although most of you have likely seen this already. He said, this September, we will get a release of the Ultimate Halloween Collection. He says, start saving your pennies. And he left the link there to IGN.com. And so reading from that site, it reads, all of Michael Myers' film exploits are being bundled together in a Blu-ray collection for the first time, courtesy of Anchor Bay Entertainment and Scream Factory. Halloween, the complete collection, is coming September 23rd and will contain 15 discs, including every Halloween feature film, and it lists all of them here, including um, the Rob Zombie ones as well, mm. along with theatrical cuts. This box set features the TV, the network TV cuts of the first two original Halloween movies, as well as the unrated versions of the Rob, Rob Zombie films. And perhaps, it says most impressively, the producer's cut of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, that has never been legally released. Many bootlegs of it have circulated for years. And then it says it has other bonus features that include new interviews and the original mono audio track for the first Halloween. The collection has the original Blu-ray version of Halloween as well as the 35th anniversary edition with the mono audio track added back into the film. And so the box set, it also comes with a 40-page book. So you're looking at this 10-disc edition of Halloween, the complete collection here. It says it retails for $130. Okay, but um, I don't know. So, what what are you thinking about that, Doc Shock? I'll be honest with you. I they have released and re-released these things several times from you know on DVD and Blu-ray, but the original Halloween has been released a few different times. You know, they just came out with a really pretty good Blu-ray set or a Blu-ray uh, version of it um, with special features and so forth. Recently, I guess that's going to be part of this collection. And that one looks fantastic, right? Yeah, I it mean, does. Those... Absolutely. It mm-hmm. absolutely does. It's getting a little bit difficult for me to, to turn money over again to this to this franchise, um, just because it just seems like 
every time they come up with something, you know, and I, and from the past when they talk about interviews, now maybe these are definitely worth checking out, but in the past, like I remember upgrading my copy of Midnight Cowboy, which is a movie I absolutely loved because mm-hmm. they came out with a two disc set with special features. Each one of the interviews that they had uh, and the little special features like behind the scenes type things is what they were, you know, putting them to be on this, on this disc were like around seven minutes long. Each one of them had almost like repeating verbatim some of what you saw in the previous one. It just was not worth it. And I almost get the feeling at this point with Halloween, because they've put these things out so many times, how much more new is there? And is it just saying, is it just throwing something in there to say, we have to say there's something new in here that isn't in any of the other ones? You know, it's it's almost like what they did with the Lord of the Rings um, when those things were first coming out. They released the theatrical versions. People snatched them up. So then they came out with the director's cut. It's like, okay, you know, this is with Fellowship of the Ring. And then people said, wow, the director's cut, I'd really like to see that. I was one of them. So what happens when the Two Towers comes out? They release a theatrical cut first. And then a few months later, the director's cut. Who would who would waste their money on the theatrical cut? It's it's just another way to to get extra money for you know, and I'm I'm just wondering if that's what they're doing with with this with all of these Halloween releases. They just seem to be so many of them at this point. Yeah, well, it's definitely a lot of double dipping for going. Yeah, on in the- there is, and mostly with the first film, I guess not so much with the sequels. Um, although Halloween two has been released a couple times. Well, I just mean Blu-ray. in the DVD and Blu-ray, Blu-ray world at this point. I mean, it's it's it is hard because uh, I don't know. And and the thing is, they know how Halloween fans are, right? Yes, and, and they're <laughs> very dedicated fan. I think that of all the franchises, I think they're probably the most most diehard uh, and dedicated. Without you know, question, you know, and because uh, we know. So I mean, obviously, Greg Amortis and and Haddonfield Hatchet. I can definitely see them picking up, picking this up, and I think that's what it's really geared for. Oh yeah, you know, so I can understand it. But now that they're coming out with the set, if it if it proves to be a success, I I don't know. I can definitely see them. I don't know that it would be the last time we're going to see a Halloween release. Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> You could probably count on that. I mean, they're calling yeah. it the, the, what, the ultimate collection? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet you're right about that, sadly. I mean, there probably will be yet another one <laughs> down the road. I mean, the, the, I think studios are finding out now that there are collectors out there. You know, it's not just people who want to own the film. There are people who are, are collecting. And I think, you know, what? It's, what's really something is how Scream Factory is, is talking, you know, is, is really gearing its entire um, run of releases, um, you know, in, in recent months to collectors. I mean, with those awesome covers, they're giving you these movies that, that are, that you have the special features and they're giving you some of these really just good movies. I mean, they just announced they're releasing a special edition of Motel Hell, mm-hmm. awesome. which has only ever been, exi- ever existed in that, in the midnight movies collection. Yeah, that's you know, a that's a buy. I mean, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, People that's got, a buy. You got to buy and that. Abs- just for the special features alone, and that's why I ended up getting Prince of Darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, and and films like that, and, and Scream Factory, I think, is doing it right. Um, and I even think Scream Factory put out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of the Halloween movies. 
was it two and three? Because Halloween two has been out on Blu-ray twice. I'm talking the original one. Right. Has right. been on Blu-ray twice. From the 81. first Halloween, yeah, from eighty one. The first mm-hmm. Halloween, I've lost count as to how many of those they've put out. Only a bunch. Um, the, the sequels after that, now they haven't gotten as many releases, obviously, but all of them have been released on Blu-ray. I don't know. I just question: Is this really? Is there enough new in this in this set to make? To, to you know, to warrant putting your money out for it again. Yeah. Well, I bet I bet you a lot of people will. <laughs> oh, they will. <laughs> I bet they, they absolutely will. And you know what? I'm not gonna. I certainly wouldn't fault anybody because it's tempting. I mean, if if I was in a position where I had a little more money, I would be damn tempted to pick all these up in one collection. That would be that would be great. Um, but what am I gonna do? I now, I now have two Blu-ray copies of Halloween Two. I have at least two of the original Halloween plus the DVDs of all of them. It's just getting to the point now where I, I'm going to need a shelf just for Halloween. Right, right. Well, I'd be interested in doing a poll question in the show notes for this episode to see how many people are planning on purchasing this one or how many people feel the way you do and just, you know, feel like it's just too, not, not enough new content for the double what? dip. And I can't even say it's not enough. I haven't done a lot of research on it. So if anybody knows if if the new content is significant, I mean, you know, the forty page booklet is always, um, you know, somewhat appealing. You know, to see what they're going to do with that. But sure. But but is it going to be forty pages of color photos with captions, or is it going yeah. to be like insight into the making of the films and a little bit of history behind them? I mean, you know, is is it going to be geared more for people? It's like, hey, here's some pictures from the movies. Here's a collect, little collector's item for you. Or is it going to be something like you can actually, you'd actually want to reference? I bet it will be more pictures. I I would guess that that would be more like, what it would be along the lines of. Yeah, yeah, like still shots, you know, right. especially like still shots that aren't aren't in the film, for example. Right. So and and then they'll throw some captions underneath them, yeah. as opposed to any true reference material that's going to give you insight into wow, you know, here's here's something I hadn't heard before about the making of this movie. Right, right. So. Yeah, maybe we can put up a poll question. I'm really intrigued now. I'm wondering what people will do with this. But <laughs> Yeah, I'd be interested too. And again, I can't fault anybody who's looking forward to to picking this up, you know, because it, it sounds it sounds like a great set. And if I had the money, I would be picking it up too. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well let's start let's start trading off uh, our last couple reviews here. So there's a film from two thousand nine called Albino Farm. All right. Now, this is interesting to me because it's one of those movies, and I'm sure you've had this happen countless times, Dr. Shuck. It's one of those movies that I found by hopping around on the filmographies page on IMDb. So it's kind of a little cross-reference discovery for me. My kids have this movie that has a trailer at the beginning for some Disney type of horse movie uh, it's called like flicka 2 <laughs> anyway definitely not horror and no i have not seen it but the lead actress in that movie is tamon sursock and um she's this girl with some screen presence let me just say that um very attractive and so don't judge me she's actually 30 years old she just looks young but anyway if anybody's <laughs> laughing at me right now you look up her imdb page i dare you and um, in Albino Farm, she plays the lead character, Stacy. So we'll go ahead and look up her page. Anyway, 
I was browsing through her filmography, and she's actually been in a couple of different horror movies, like Husk from 2011, and then this movie called Albino Farm from 2009. And the the title itself of Albino Farm intrigued me, Doc, and I, so I wanted to check it out, and I got it through the Netflix Disc by Mail plan, and I discovered that this actually has a Horror Palace alumna in it. I was just going to say, because Bianca. that's the reason I own this one, Bianca Barnett. Yeah, Absolutely. Bianca Barnett's yeah. in it, and for those who remember her on Horror Palace, she hosted the, the WTF video horror podcast, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Uh, so she's a model and an actress. And, and let me tell you, you get to see quite a bit of Bianca in this movie. <laughs> yes. I haven't seen it, but I've seen a, a trailer for it. And I know just from um, what I've looked into with the movie that, uh, that uh, Bianca is, is quite brave. That's right. And in fact, the guy who did the creature design in this film is Jason Barnett. And I believe that's her husband, if I'm not I mistaken. I believe so, yes. Yes, I think it is. Yes. And so, anyway, she plays a monstrous female character in Albino Farm. And, um, you know, like I said, I try to keep this family friendly, but the name of the character is Pig Bitch. <laughs> and, and, and it's a creepy character, actually. Now, is that the name of the character? I mean, you've seen the movie. Is it the name of the character or a description of the character? Well, it's a description of the character, and it's stuck because that's how they have her credited in the credits okay, and stuff. But in the movie, she is called that. Well, someone calls her that in a derogatory okay. way. It's okay. not. I don't think it's her given name by birth. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have thought so. But but there is there is enough of a reference in the movie. Because every now and again, you look at IMDb, and 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 sometimes they'll try to come up with their own. You oh know? no, this is yeah, this is in the film, and so okay, okay. and and her character um looks crazy. I mean, this is a and and I'll just I'll just tell you guys this right now. I mean, this is a mute mutant redneck freak, you know, hillbilly mutant movie, kind of along mm-hmm. the lines of Wrong Turn just not as good as that and these these characters have some serious deformities in this movie but anyway this movie for those who do know about this film because a lot of people not a lot but some do it's probably because it has wrestler chris jericho in it oh okay but his role is uh, relatively small and so it's not like he's like kane and see no evil And, Mm -hmm. and by the way speaking of see no evil See No Evil 2 has been completed, I saw on IMDb, and so as of right now, that one is slated for a 2014 release. Interesting. You know what? That wasn't a perfect movie, but I did, uh, there were parts that I definitely enjoyed. I remember that, that you liked that one. Yeah. Awesome. So, this is written, produced, and directed by these two guys, Joe Anderson and Sean McEwen, and the premise is, you've got these college students who are exploring the Ozark Mountains for a school assignment, and they stumble upon this group of, you know, mutated freaks who live in a cave. <laughs> so, and that's kind of the premise there. And, um, you know, it's a very unpleasant encounter, of course. And I will say right now, this is a low-budget film. <clears throat> and the effects that they put on the camera drive me insane. It's horrible. Like, they put some kind of filters mm-hmm. where it looks overexposed a lot. I mean, did you see the movie Pitch Black with Vin Diesel? Yes, a while ago. The original you're talking? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess there was only one. Well, there was, I think the the recent Riddick movie, was that sort of a remake of Pitch Black? Um, 
let me see. Well, uh, come to think of it, it is quite it is quite similar to Pitch Black. Yeah. I actually like the new Riddick movie just just as a little side note there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the Pitch uh, Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yes, I do remember that. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, that one was like way overexposed because they wanted to give the illusion of brightness on the planet because they were close to all these suns or whatever. Right. And that drove me insane. So this isn't quite that bad, but it's some kind of like weird, colorful, you know, filter over the lens. Uh-huh. And, it, and it's very off-putting. So I wanted to say that. And then the last 60% of the movie, more than half of the movie, is is in the dark. And it's not lit very well. So it's very hard to see what's going on. It just uh-huh. So for that reason, that takes it way down for me. And that hurts the movie quite a bit. It does have some dialogue in it that's a little bit funny, but it's mostly, you know, got some annoying characters in it. Um, Let me see here what else I was going to tell you. Oh, but I will say the effects, you know, props to (laughs) Bianca's uh, husband, because the effects are actually pretty good. Like the makeup effects are decent. Um, For example, there is one scene where you get like a meat hook up through the roof of a mouth. And Ooh. it rips out, you know, through the lip. It's pretty right. impressive. Now, that one's done with CGI, but, I mean, it looks real. Wow. So, I just want to tell you that. But, again, I mean, due to the poor lighting and, and also the way that the scenes are blocked, like the action in the film uh-huh. is very disorienting. So, you have trouble, like, um, understanding the spatial geography of what you're looking at within the scenes. And so, you just can't tell what's going on. But still... I will say the mutants are crazy enough looking and and they're pretty intense to the point that um I think this film is noteworthy as an oddity. So I think it's worth seeing. It's a four out of ten for me in quality, but I'm still going to call it a rental because even though it's bad in a lot of ways, it's like one of those train wreck situations where you have to look. Right. right? <laughs> so, so check out Albino Farm. It's a four out of ten and it's a rental. Okay, Doc, it's your turn. What do you got, buddy? All right. Now I'm going to go back to a movie. Actually, this is going to the this is the very first movie I ever saw in a drive-in theater. Oh, wow. Okay, the year was 1978. This is the movie that I would say was um uh in the opening uh episode of Planet Macabre all those years ago. This was I said was my first actual experience with what would be considered a horror movie. And it is 1978's Jaws 2. <laughs> All right, the sequel to the to the classic movie. Yes, um, which uh, I remember distinctly the experience of going to see this movie uh, at the drive-in, and how excited I was that wow, we're going to see a movie on this big screen. We're going to be sitting in the car, um, and it was funny because my parents had taken me, my brother, plus a friend of ours to see this. Um, and it was a double feature. It was Jaws 2 and the movie Roller Coaster, which was actually a year old by that point, but it was the second bill. It was like the, like the second mm-hmm. – uh, the bottom bill of, of this, uh, you know, this double feature. Um, and another thing I distinctly remember is seeing a trailer for The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, <laughs> which really stuck with me because that was my first exposure to The Bad News Bears. Right. <laughs> but anyway, back to Jaws 2. Um Okay, the movie uh, takes place, it's a few years after the events of um, the first Jaws. 
at this point, you know, Chief Brody, he's still the, the chief of police. Um, you know, he spends a lot of his time, you know, going to like government sponsored functions and so forth. Um, there's not, you know, it's sort of like just regular small town stuff. Things have gotten maybe, I wouldn't say dull. I think he kind of likes it that way, but things have quieted down finally since, uh, since the events of a few years earlier. Um, now we do get an idea that the audience is clued in well before Chief Brody or any of the characters are that something's going on because in the very opening scene we get some underwater uh, photographers uh, or underwater divers who come across the wreckage of the Orca, the ship from the first movie, Mm -hmm. and they're taking pictures of each other when they're attacked. Okay. (laughs) So we know there's another shark in in the area pretty early on and even a a scene a little bit later on with um a water skier and uh and uh, the person in the boat who was like um you know i guess driving the boat that was uh, that was towing her uh something happens to them as well people only see like the aftermath they don't see what led to that but we know that it's the shark where chief brody is clued in is when they come across the carcass of uh, a dead killer whale with huge bites taken out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think these things are huge. Right. They bring in an expert. Now, the expert they bring in is is this woman, and she says, "Yes, they could be shark bites, but this thing could have died 15 miles out. Doesn't necessarily mean it died close to shore. Besides, if it's been, it looks like it's been floating for a day. Every animal in the ocean could have taken a, a little bit of a bite out of this. <laughs> so." We get a lot of the same beats that we got in the first movie with Chief Brody going to the to the you know the and Murray Hamilton makes uh, what I'd say is a brief appearance back as the mayor you know uh, of Vaughn. Uh, the real official this time though is a guy named Len Peterson. Now in the original script he was supposed to be have mafia ties. They don't play that up in this version of the movie. Um, but this was unlike the first movie. This was a very troubled production. We can get into a little bit of that later on. Um, but it gets to the point where there's even an incident on the beach where it looks as if Chief Brody has crossed a line, thinking that the shark is back that costs him his job. You know, he ends up losing his job. While this is going on, there's a little bit of a side story with his kids. His one uh, older son is now a teenager, has his own boat, and all of his friends have their own boats and they like to go out sailing. Well, the chief Chief Brody has told him, "Look, no more sailing until we sort of get this thing under control." But um, I think it's Mike, the oldest son. Um, you know, he's got this girl he's impressed with, and she's like, "Do you always do what your fam- parents tell you?" And he's like, "No." So he decides he's going to take the boat out. The <laughs> youngest son decide really pesters him to go along. They let him go along, and I think you can kind of tell when all hell breaks loose at that point. Right. <laughs> um, and things things start to happen. Um, this movie does have its strong points. There's one scene in particular that stuck with me for so long when I saw this in the drive-in where the chief wades out into the water. Uh, he, some <laughs> debris had washed up, Yes, and he makes this really gruesome discovery. That stayed with me for a long time after I saw this movie. I mean, it really scared the hell out of me. Oh, yeah. Traumatic. So, uh, very traumatic, especially I was maybe eight or nine at the time. So it was like really shocking for me. Right. <laughs> this movie, um, Roy Scheiner delivers a great performance. He, he's, he's back in form from what he had done in the first movie. He's back in that character. I mean, there's, there's just the continuation is perfect. You know, it's like he could have picked it up right after that first movie. 
it, it lacks the Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus characters. Oh, yeah. Who were so strong in that first movie. Yep. That sort of triumvirate really made that movie as great as it was. Totally agree. So there's, there's those two are missing. As I said, it hits some of the same beats as the original one. Yes. Um, and I think they show the shark more often and maybe a little too often in this movie. Uh, that aside, though, that maybe. aside, <laughs> like, maybe, maybe, even yeah. for me, like maybe, maybe you're right about that. Maybe. What bothered but, me the most, I just want to say, yeah, I totally agree about the same. I mean, to me, it was almost like, well, the first movie was popular. Let's just do that again. It reminded yeah. me of like the, you know, what Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 tried to do, where they basically just tried to regurgitate the first yeah. movie and the magic wasn't there. And a little, a little bit. Now, for this one, though, I did, I did enjoy it for what it was. And there's a lot of, a little bit of nostalgia there, too. But um, I still think it's, it's well, it, it would almost be damning praise to say it's the best of the Jaws sequels because I think it's even a little bit, you know, because that's, that's not really, that's not saying much. Right. Um, but I did like the movie for what it was. I liked where it went. I, and I even kind of liked the, the teenage characters. They didn't bother me. Um, and they do play a little bit more of a, a prominent role in this one. Actually, real interesting is this was Keith Gordon's screen debut. He was 16 when he made this movie. Um, Keith Gordon, of course, who would go on to star in Carpenter's Christine, um, and he was in Dressed to Kill, you know, the De Palma movie. Uh, this was his screen debut. He was recruited from high school, uh, you know, 16 years old to, to be in this movie. Um, now, like I said, it was a very troubled production, like the first film. The shark broke down a lot, like it did in the first film. The island at the end, I, th- I think, you rem- if you remember, there's like this little inlet that a lot of people are trying to get to where, mm-hmm. I guess, the electrical station is. That was built on a barge. That island didn't exist, and at one point, it broke away and started floating towards Cuba. Whoa. So they had to go and get it and bring it back. <laughs> um, Roy Scheider and the director really were at odds. It was at one moment, one point that Roy Scheider demanded the director write a, a written apology from him for not accepting his ideas. Um, and at one point in a meeting with the producers, the two came to blows. I mean, it was actual fist fight between the two of them. Wow. That's um, awesome. The movie went into the winter months to film. The, the, the kids, a lot of the time when they were on the water, they had to have ice cubes in their mouth because it was so cold. They had to hide the fact that, you know, that you could see their breath. Uh, and even more, most troubling of all was while these kids were out, the, a lot of them end up out on a raft and they end up stranded out there is what happens in the movie. While they were out there, they started, they were circled by an actual hammerhead shark, <laughs> started circling the rafts and they all got freaked out. When they called to the production crew, the production crew, assuming they were rehearsing, gave them the thumbs up. <laughs> So there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes of this movie. That's gold. Yeah, I, I mean, really, honestly, that would that would give a good performance. I mean, it's like roll the cameras right now because right. they're exactly. genuinely scared. Right. Um, but for what the movie is, it's not going to approach the original. It's just there's, and I don't know if I don't know if there aren't too many movies. Period. I think that can approach the original Jaws. It's that good of a movie. Right. Um, but I think that as a sequel, this one uh, is at least serviceable, okay? And I would give it probably a six, and I'd say rent it. Mm-hmm. And there, as I said, there is a nostalgia factor in there for me as well, um, just because of the first time I saw this movie. It still stays with me. Uh, but there are elements of it, even outside of that, that I think make it worth recommending. 
Well, he, again, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, here's my issue. I mean, I actually agree with a, a lot of what you've said. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, because I don't hate this movie by any means. And, and, and yeah, like the fourth one is honestly almost unwatchable. Like, right. like literally... It is hard to actually sit through the fourth Jaws sequel. Right. So compared to that, yeah. But but my thing is, it's like, well, the original Jaws is in my top 10 horror mm. movies. And I'm like, well, just watch that one again. Because this one is so similar. It's like, well, just watch the first one. It hits it's a lot of this. It does hit a lot of the same beats. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And of the two, what one am I going to recommend? Yes, I'm going to recommend the first Jaws. Mm. Uh, but as a sequel, I think if you watch them, well, I don't even know if watching them back to back, it might actually reveal even more flaws in this movie than I, because I didn't see them back to back. Right. Uh, but when compared to the first movie, it's not going to ha- to hold up. But I think for what it is, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's it's worth it's worth seeking out, especially if you're a big fan of the first one and you've never seen this one. Um, I'll go one. So I actually saw Jaws three in the theater too. Oh yeah, the, uh, the Sea World commercial. <laughs> in yes, the Sea World commercial, and I saw it in three D. Oh, awesome! I was sitting there with the glasses in the theater. Me and my <laughs> friends went and saw it, and we did that even after the bad experience we had with Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone with the three D. Oddly enough, I for for years I thought Space Hunter <clears throat> was one of the worst movies I'd ever seen, and. I saw it again recently to review it on the blog. I was expecting to review this as one of the worst movies I've seen, and I ended up really enjoying it without the 3D. <laughs> I ended up looking at it as a really fun 80s sci-fi, low-budget sort of schlock movie, and approached that way without the headache-inducing 3D glances that they gave you back in the 1980s made it an entertaining watch. I don't expect the same to happen with Jaws 3, to be honest with you. Right, right, yeah. But that's what happened with me for Space Hunter. It was the 3D that hurt that movie back then. I mean, when we saw in the theater, me and my friends were like, oh my God, look, that spaceship is coming out of the screen. It's the most amazing thing we ever saw. Within 45 minutes, we had the glasses off. We were rubbing our eyes because we had such a headache from yeah, the damn glasses. I'm with you. Because that's the way they were. And I, it was the same thing with Jaws. We, I would take them off, wait a few minutes, watch the movie blurry, then throw them back on when something interesting was happening just so I could see it clearly. Yeah. Uh, but that was sort of the same experience. It was just 3D. You know, they, They've perfected it to a point now that, that, that it's at least watchable without getting a headache, at least for me. Um, yeah. But, but boy, back in the 80s, that's why it didn't last because it was just it was not handled well. I'm with you. You know, but um, so, yeah, this is the best of the sequels. Again, that's not saying much, but I do think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'd give it probably um, to five or five point. I'll say five point five and I'd probably call it I'd call it a rental for sure. But okay. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm with you. So so you say six and rent I'll it. give it I'll give it a six and say rental again. Uh, there is a nostalgia factor there. There's a, you know, sure. just from what the movie just from that whole experience. Of, of seeing it in the drive-in. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. And um, Dr. Shock, here we go. I try... We've got this unspoken game that I've never told you guys about. So maybe I should, since you're my co-host. Okay. <laughs> and I guess this started back on the weekly horror movie podcast, because it seemed like we would all pick movies, you know, like we'd pick four different movies. And it was always kind of interesting to see which movie was the one that was really talked about or really caught people's attention on the mm-hmm. episode, right? 
Right. Um, but for example, like I remember the episode that Bill Shetty picked pieces on that movie. I mean, because oh, that's right. an exceptional slasher film. And um, it's man, a fun that, movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's so good. So I love that. But anyway, I still kind of try to do that where we're all we all pick bring movies to the table and I try to pick something. Well, mm-hmm. this one here. I'm hoping this is it for the the episode. This is, but maybe not. Maybe you've got something up your sleeve. So, but <laughs> so this next review it is dedicated to my pal Ron Martin, who is the venerable host of the Resurrection of Zombie Seven podcast, and I'll explain why I'm dedicating it to him here shortly. But um, this movie is called Gutter Balls, and it's from 2008. Now. Doc, you know this about me. One of my personal convictions is to give credit where credit's due. Yes. And I first learned about gutter balls, you probably remember this, from Bill Shetty's Indie Assault segment. He covered it. Yeah, this is one of his recommendations on one of the later Planet Macabre episodes. And and I almost always love those Indie Assault recommendations. And Mm -hmm. so um, I've been wanting to check this out for a while. So I finally did catch up with gutter balls. And um, I'm going to tell everyone up front... I was not aware, okay, that this movie is um, NC-17. I got it through the Netflix disc by mail plan, and Netflix has it listed as unrated, and maybe there's just no difference between the two. I don't know um, about that, Doc, but anyway, it is definitely NC-17. Okay. And so I try to keep this a family show, and so let me just say that this (laughs) this has a lot of... um, naughty bits in it <laughs> and uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I just want to warn people out there and i'd go as far as to call it like um even like softcore at times unfortunately oh, wow and so the dvd even opens with a legal notice there on the screen that informs viewers that all the actresses in the movie are of legal age 18 or older <laughs> And so that's usually a sign that something that you're not going to just be sitting down to watch what would be considered a regular horror movie. Right. And if they feel the need to let you know that the, that these girls are of legal age, you're thinking, Oh, legal age to be in a horror movie. No, I don't think so. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh no, what did I get into? Cause everybody knows how I am on this podcast. Right. Right. So anyway, the inciting, incident to the gutter ball is an over-the-top brutal and lengthy rape scene it approaches the levels of like i spit on your grave or last house oh, on God. the left yeah and i'd even what? it's not as bad as irreversible which is the worst i've ever seen yes the irreversible is the worst i mean i the, the original i spit on your grave comes pretty close right but I think Irreversible is probably the worst. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, this involves a whole gang, like five guys. And um, it, it really has the feel of, um, you know, a blue movie, so to speak. So, wow. and, you know, there's bowling pin involved. And it's just, it's awful. And it gets to the point where it's sad. Like, it's very yeah. sad. At first, it's it's like um, very exploitative and so so forth. I was going to ask you, how's it played? I mean, it's not, it's certainly not played for comedy, I'm assuming. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the points in in this that I was going to mention. This, this is a comedy horror film, but to me personally, there's nothing really funny about this movie, but the tone is kind of over the top and silly. And so when you've got this severe opening scene, which is really long, by the way, it's a lengthy Mm -hmm. scene. 
then it really pushes the tone. I mean, it makes the tone of this movie very bizarre and disturbing. Um, there, you know, this occurs in an arcade room. So you got all the sounds of the arcade, which most people associate that with happy childhood. Right. Uh. And, and, and so it, it's pretty crazy as far as that goes. So anyway, um, by the time that's over, I mean, it's kind of soul sucking and you feel like you've lost a little bit of your humanity from, wow. from just witnessing it. <laughs> but anyway, and, and there's a transgender character who is abused in this movie verbally and physically. And just to tell you what kind of movie you're dealing with, cause I got to really make sure people understand, um, gutter balls isn't below showing you, um, impromptu surgical procedures, of very tender parts. So, so so consider that a warning there just so people know. I mean, that was a euphemistic phrase, but I just want people to know. Now let's talk about the killer in this because the killer is very interesting to me Uh, and, and almost pitch perfect. Um, Now you may, when I was trying to write up my notes on this review, like you don't know who the killer is in this. It's a, it's a whodunit type of, slasher where you're trying to figure out who it is the whole time this killer wears a mask okay and my problem with the killer is the mask is a bowling ball bag like a bag you carry your bowling ball in and the killer just wears it over the head okay well at this point in the recording it's about quarter after 2 a.m for dr shock and something is going on with skype which is how we talk and so Um, Skype has died on us, and so I'm just going to continue this and take it home because we're nearing the end, as it is anyway, and so um, hopefully I'll be able to get Doc back, but more than likely he'll probably just go to bed (laughs) since it's telling me that Skype is unavailable, so I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Maybe the gutter balls killer got to it. So anyway, this killer has the initials BBK. And we don't find out what that stands for until the end. But believe me, it's obvious and underwhelming, I'll say. But this movie is a lot like Intruder. It reminds me a ton of Intruder, which is one of all my all-time favorite 80s slasher flicks. And that one is set in a grocery store. And just like Intruder, I mean, that one uses the grocery store setting and the implements that are around the grocery store for its kills. And so... Gutterballs takes advantage of of all this um, bowling-related paraphernalia for the kills. And I know that maybe that sounds dumb, but believe me, it's not. Because the killer uses bowling pins and bowling balls, of course, and even sharpened bowling pins. Um, and does some pretty brutal things, you know, that <laughs> are unimaginable. And so this movie is really outrageous. I don't know if you can tell so far. Um, from what I've described, but it's, you know, it's a lot like Intruder. Like I said, I'd call it a cousin to Intruder. It actually might be a nice double feature, but this is a lot more exploitative and not nearly as well written. Not that Intruder is Shakespeare or anything, but anyway, that just goes to tell you where this movie is. (laughs) So, um, and I I will mention another thing too, as extreme as the visual content seems, the audio content in this movie, like the Foley and the sound effects, are just as graphic and extreme. Um, obviously, it was made by horror fans who have an affection for the genre. I mean, for example, the 
the phone number to the bowling alley is um, 976-EVIL-3845, which is kind of funny. And if you look at the cover art for this film, it is actually like a spoof on the cover art for Maniac from 1980, and it looks really good. So that's pretty cool. But I'm telling you, the best part, like, in a way, this even though this movie is like way beyond what I'm usually... I guess prepared to endure, right? For a for a horror film, you know, in terms of its content and stuff. But even though that's the case, um, what really seduced me about this film is the setting because it's set in this like midnight disco bolarama, and the the film stock is kind of grainy looking, and so it's like this '80s throwback retro slasher. Lots of neon lights. They do the the opening credit titles. And this blue neon, it's beautiful, it's excellent. And so they absolutely capitalize and they just nail the setting and the backdrop in this film. And I'll just talk about that a little more here in a moment. But they even, you know, when you go bowling, you you hear music blaring in the background as you're playing. Same thing here throughout the film because, you know, you have it, you have these people and just the premise here is you've got two teams of youth, like college-age kids. They might be high school, but I'm thinking they're like college-age. They look pretty young. And and basically, they're in a bowling league, and they're competing, but they have a really, you know, vicious rivalry between the two of them, especially after the, the one team, you know, assaults the other girl in the intro, like I was telling you about. And so, you know, there a lot of it just takes place while they're bowling, which sounds kind of boring, but it's not. It really isn't. It's it's um kind of captivating, and it's the kind of movie. Honestly, if it weren't for the the strength of the content, meaning how strong it was, um, it's the kind of movie that I could have literally just pushed play on again as soon as it ended. I mean, that's. That's really how much I was like into this world that they were in. And so you got the bowling alley music in the background there. And and so that sounds great, actually. It's at a good volume level and everything. And that's usually a complaint of mine. But I will say the dialogue um, is not recorded very well. It sounds like it's in a tin can sometimes. I mean, this is a low budget, relatively low budget production. So you do have limitations like that. Now... This is noteworthy here. Gutterballs has one of the worst and most annoying characters I've ever seen in cinema. In fact, I'll go as far as to say he is the worst. He's literally um, worse than Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> I can't even stand Jar Jar Banks. And this character's name is Steve, and he's unbearable. And so this guy. I mean, this actor, he has his performance turned up to 11 for the entire movie. And almost every other word is literally like an F-bomb. It's just terrible. So just to recap for people out there, the bowling ball bag on the head of the killer is ridiculous. And I hated that. It's stupid. It kind of looks stupid to me. But after all, it is a whodunit slasher. So there needed to be some kind of mask obscuring the identity of the killer. The acting in this movie is terrible. Almost every actor in this movie is bad. There's like one or two exceptions that are passable. Um, as I said at the beginning, this is a sexploitation type of film, very graphic and explicit. 
and shows pretty much everything. And the title gutter in title gutter balls is um a double entendre. It has a death scene in this movie that um I've never witnessed in another horror movie. And the director calls it has a special name for it, death by blank. And in the blank, he puts a certain number, and it's not a bowling score. So just watch for that. And it's replete with um, vulgarity and profanity, and it even has more than the Blair Witch Project. And in fact, um, just to give you an idea, this film is in the running, according to Wikipedia. It's among like the top three films of the most frequent usage of the F word. And so, um, you know, there's a documentary that's called the F word and that's like the number one. And then there's some debate as to which has more the Wolf of wall street or this one, but supposedly this film has like 625 instances in it. So it is just pure filth. And so, um, it's very low budget, like I've said. So the script isn't great and the dialogue is pretty bad and we do live in a PC world now. So I will just let you know that there are several slurs, um, directed at transgender and homosexual individuals. And so despite all these warnings that I just mentioned, I mean, this this showcases some crazy, um, really impressive, um, gory kill scenes done with practical effects. And so I would say that um, Gutter Balls actually showcases kind of the most characteristic and classic elements of the 80s slasher movies. Now, honestly, the, the greatest part is, one of the greatest parts is definitely the kill scenes. And I haven't said much about it because they're such a surprise and they're so refreshing. And um, I would describe them here, but honestly, I kind of just want you guys to be surprised if you end up watching it because it, it is definitely about the journey. It's about the ride. And so I would call Gutterballs, the guiltiest of guilty pleasures. It's the kind of movie that, you know, you feel like you're going to go to hell for liking, <laughs> especially if you review it favorably on a podcast. Um, but the director, Ryan Nicholson, he wrote and directed this and he considers it, you know, basically good, unclean fun, as you can, you know, see in his interview, because there's a 42 minute making of documentary on the DVD and he calls this movie his love letter to the slasher films that he grew up watching. And he classifies it as a very dark, comedic slasher gore fest. That's what he calls it. And so I know this is going to come back to haunt me. And I'll probably be bitten for this at some point. But uh, I have to rate how I feel. I mean, despite how offensive it is to me morally. And it really is. And it's and despite the terrible script and performances, the setting of it in this bowling alley... And the kills and the 80s slashers nostalgia, I mean, it brings me in at like an 8.5 out of 10. And so, um, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to tell anybody to um, buy or rent this movie. But and and if I owned such things, then it probably would be a buy for me personally. But, um, you know, I can't, I just can't in good conscience, like be an advocate of such content. I mean, if this film were just a classic R-rated horror film, you know, and it wasn't so strong and so far over the top that way, um, it would literally be in my top five favorite horror films, probably. But it is not in my top ten. 
um, because of how strong it is. So I'm, I just want to throw that out there. So Gutter Balls is an 8.5, and supposedly they're planning a sequel, or they have been for a while, and that's going to be called Gutter Balls 2 Balls Deep. That's the title of it. So <laughs> we'll see what comes of that. Now, just as a little side note, personal experience here. I had this very weird, obsessive experience that happened to me when I watched this movie. And it was so weird. Like I, I started researching the the bowling alley where this was set. And this was filmed at the Excalibur Bowling Center, which is located in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. And so even though it's like, you know, in this part of Canada, which relating to the United States would be just north of um, Washington State, you know, so it's actually on my side of the, the country, kind of. Um, I honestly was like, I'm going to go there. I am going to go to this bowling alley because it looks so awesome. I'm going to do the midnight bowling. I'm going to record a podcast from there. I got this really... Um, just obsessed, seduced thing come over me, which was really bizarre. I was, it was kind of freaky how intense I felt about this, but I come to do a little research there. And unfortunately I found out that the place had been closed down. And when they filmed this in summer of 2007, it was a relatively brand new multi-million dollar thing, you know, and I guess they changed ownership at some point and I'm sure this is interesting to nobody, but basically it's permanently closed. So if anybody up in Canada knows like what happened exactly to Excalibur Bowling Center, I would love to know why that went under. I think it changed ownership and then somebody significant to the bowling alley died. And so maybe that's what happened, but it just it just sounded like a great place. And I really lament that because I would have loved to have gone there. And believe me, one of these days I would have because I was just obsessed. And so I think that's why I like gutter balls so much because just <clears throat> all the neon and I mean, it just looked like the coolest place to me. I can't even explain it. It's weird. But so the reason I dedicated this review to my friend Ron is because <laughs> he actually works as a bartender at a bowling alley in Indiana. And so I've for a long time now, I've been wanting to go there and hang out at that bar with him and my buddy Jeff Hammer, and just talk about horror movies and life. And so one of these days, I'm going to do that too. And so <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Anyway, I just, I don't know what it is about my weird cravings or propensity to visit bowling alleys, but <clears throat> this reminded me, this movie reminded me of Ron, and so that's why it's dedicated to him. And so for the outro music at the end of this episode, I'm going to play the Gutterball theme music just to kind of demonstrate the excellent coolness of um, this movie so anyway as we wrap up here I just want to highlight I was planning to do this with um, you know at least one co-host but Skype is completely dead now which is weird so I'm just going to do it by myself and so I hope this isn't boring to everybody but I want to just kind of cruise down through a couple of highlights from our listener feedback and so first and foremost I want to recognize the kind people who recently left us some iTunes reviews. And so we got one from Anthony01, who rated it excellent, five stars. And he said, I give it five stars only because iTunes wouldn't let me give it 10. 
I don't always agree with the host's opinions, but this show has never wasted my time. No egos, no arrogance, just three fellows that love the genre and it shows. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Anthon01. <laughs> and then the next one comes from Soda Pop Rocker. That's like the coolest name. It says, great horror movie reviews. If you love horror movies, you will enjoy this podcast. Entertaining reviews of modern flicks and the classics. I like to listen at the office, and I often get funny looks from my coworkers because I randomly start laughing at the banter between the hosts. So I hope um, we didn't get you in trouble today with Godzilla. <laughs> so, And then we got another one here from <clears throat> Moonlight Shogun, and the title is Bangarang. <laughs> That's awesome. And it says, I'm beyond happy that I found this podcast. I love the longer discussion times and how intelligently the films are talked about. Great rating system for the movies and some really great recommendations for movies that I probably would not have seen otherwise. I'm a huge horror fan through and through, and I don't have many people to discuss these films with. These guys fill in that missing gap for me. Even my husband, who isn't a horror fan, enjoys listening and hearing interesting trivia. Keep up the amazing job, and thanks for spreading the love of horror. And so I just want to give a shout-out there, too, to Moonlight Shogun's husband as well. So thank you both for listening. That's really sweet that you're such a supportive guy. Anyway, that's awesome of you guys to leave us iTunes reviews. It really helps us out a ton, so thank you for doing that. And then um, I also want to thank everybody who left comments there on episode 16 those people were David, Dark Passenger, Dr. Shock, The Dude, Gertie Wordy, His Dinner's in the Oven, Juan, Nisu Shah, One Sick Puppy, and Tony is on fire. And um, so just a couple highlights here and we'll wrap up soon because I know we're going kind of long and hearing just me isn't as interesting as hearing my friends with me. But there were a couple things that really kind of stood out from the comments, like some common themes there. Um, number one... The guys, it seemed like you guys liked the previous show, but you really missed hearing from Dr. Shock. And had he been on here, it would have been more fun to tell that to him too. So hopefully he's seen that. But I was going to mention that to Doc. So thanks thanks for doing that. And by the way, David, um, you're right. Doc probably would have brought up the Guyana Cult of the Damned movie. And I didn't do that because I had not seen that actually. So I'm I, I know it's crazy, but... I'm actually really interested in that now, so thanks for bringing that to my attention. Also, um, people seem to be really watching and thinking about Contracted and We Are What We Are lately, and both of those are still streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly here in the U.S., so you guys with Netflix streaming, you have no excuse, so check it out. Nisu Shah said We Are What We Are is an 8 out of 10. And by the way, he does not rate with halves, so <laughs> gotcha. And then Juan said, uh, we are what we are. It's an 8.5. He said, buy it. But regarding retract, uh, retracted, that's funny. Regarding contracted, he said, Jay, you are out of your mind, bro. This movie is nowhere near as good as you're hyping it to be, and it was actually a pretty big letdown. This movie had so much going for it. Good premise, check. Thrilling trailer, check. Intriguing poster, check. My problem with this movie is that it has all the right parts, but it doesn't do anything with them. Contracted could have been a movie that combined familiar topics and horror and real life to create something more intelligent to tell, but it falls short on that end. Now, 
If only the movie worked as a straightforward tale of body horror, I would have been okay with it, but it falls short on that end too. Bad acting, shallow characters, amateurish camera work, so-so storytelling, and a love triangle that didn't have to be there in the first place ruins it for me. So jumping down to the rating here, um, he he said, I gave Contracted a 4.5 and say low priority rental or skip it. Ouch. Well, all right, Juan, thanks for letting us know about that. I guess I'm a little speechless because I'm heartbroken, but you know, that's all right. I'm not offended. I'm just sad you didn't like that movie more, but that's totally cool. And then uh, Dark Passenger left a funny comment here too. Said Jay, like many other people in here, I also watch Contracted and We Are What We Are. I liked Contracted a little better. I thought what that girl must have been going through seeing herself change into this decaying being it does make you think about all the diseases that are out there. And if you aren't careful, you can become like her. Yeah, well said. And I, I think that's that's really kind of along the lines of why I enjoyed it so much too, Dark Passenger. And uh, he said, glad I have a girlfriend now and not in the dating world anymore. I was getting worried about myself if that was going to happen to me if I kept going the way I was going. <laughs> Good thing everything worked out. And We Are What We Are is what I call a payoff movie where you have to wait until the very end and then it hits you in the face. The ending alone makes it a movie to watch. And of course, Dark Passenger is referring to the American remake there. So definitely check that out. Thank you guys for your comments. And then the dude wrote this heartfelt comment about losing his local video store that almost made me cry, you guys. So if you haven't read the dude's comment on episode 16, you should go check it out. And be sure to read David's response after it. It's good stuff. And damn Redbox. And uh, by the way, I'm so sorry I was cryptic, you guys, about the opening scene of Contracted. Basically, here it is. I think there's a suggestion of some necrophilia going on there, which I believe is meant to suggest the reason for this mysterious affliction that is passed on to the girl. So, anyway... (laughs) And then there was discussion on the comment boards about we need to talk about Kevin. And Juan wrote, said, so speaking of sophisticated horror, what about this movie? Have you guys seen it? Would you even categorize it as horror? I think ultimately it is a horror story and a pretty horrific one. I was a bit confused at the beginning of the movie because I wasn't certain of what was going on. But soon after we start finding out more of what Kevin's character is all about, things started to connect easily. And by the end, when we find out what really happened with Kevin, his family, and at school, it all delivers one hell of a punch in the gut and takes the wind out of you. Indeed. The character Kevin is amazing. I was very impressed with the guy's acting. Everyone's acting was amazing. The direction, cinematography, photography, and dialogue were all very good. The way the story was told with flashbacks was a bit bothersome sometimes, but all in all, it was a great movie. I give it a 9 and say buy it. Although it might not be for everyone, it is quite slow. And then David responded to that comment and said, One, I've got to say that I've been quite curious with regards to we need to talk about Kevin for quite some time now. I found it difficult to establish if it's a sort of bleak art house drama. Which, by the way, I just want to interject there. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Or a psychological thriller slash horror. I have nothing against either of those generalizations or indeed a combination of them, but I find I have to be in a certain mood to sit down and watch something with a particularly realistic 
and serious tone or overly ornate presentation, so it's kind of been in limbo for me for a while. I may take the plunge and check it out after reading this post, though. Okay, so I want to address David and Juan here. We need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, so I'll tell you, I was actually made aware of this. It's adapted from a book, the book We Need to Talk About Kevin. And um, I started reading it, to be honest with you. I did start reading the book, and I'm not a huge reader. My wife is the reader, so she read it, and she was totally freaked out by it. It's a very disturbing book. It's basically um, about an evil kid. A demon seed, but but it's not you know devil stuff. I mean, he's not literally a demon, but he is just a terrible, horrible, evil-natured person um, who just gets worse and worse as he gets older. So for that reason, it's disturbing. And I actually had um, an acquaintance of mine who was cast in the movie because so I was actually following the production of this. Because I had the book and I tried to read it and my wife read it and we talked about it quite a bit. And then I was waiting and waiting for this movie to come out and my friend got cast in it and then finally it did come out. And I was so excited to see it. And when I saw it, I was just, oh man, I was so disappointed, you guys. Because it is like, it's a little bit, I think in its execution, I mean, it's well made, sure. But I think in its execution, it's a little bit pretentious. It's a little, it's one of those arty movies that you, you really have trouble gaining your bearings and, and figuring out what's going on. Now, for someone like Josh, and you all know the Wolfman now, of course, you know, that guy's going to like it. I mean, he, he won't have any problems with this. You know, for people that I know, like Levi, for example, he's that kind of film viewer, you know, those guys aren't going to be bothered at all. But for me, I'm like, oh, man, this story is so crazy and cool. Just tell it straight. Just tell us a straight narrative of it. So that was very disappointing to me. But everything you said about the performances and especially the way this film affects you and what happened, and I won't talk about how it unfolds, and be careful if you do any research about it because it will be very easy to get spoiled on this film. And so I appreciate these guys who left comments when Juan wrote about it. He did not spoil it, which was awesome. Well done, Juan. Even if you don't like contract it. No, just kidding. But anyway, like Dark Passenger said, when he, when he said a payoff movie, we need to talk about Kevin is kind of one of those payoff movies that really, um, you know, <laughs> really delivers in, in a similar way. So anyway, with this one, I definitely think if you like disturbing cinema and you don't mind art house cinema, slow cinema, then absolutely you got to see it because, I mean, it's nuts. But but for, I think, <clears throat> people like me <laughs> who maybe have a little bit more of an attention deficit disorder or if you just need a little more action happening or straight storytelling, you know, I'm glad I saw it. And I'll probably never watch it again just because it's it's hard to sit through like the first half of it. But the latter half is very good. I had related horror movies, not horror, but I had related movies that I was going to recommend that have similar themes. But if I tell you what those are, it'll spoil where this goes. So I'm just going to keep on moving. <clears throat> so Juan asked the question and he said, not that I want attention or anything. I just want to interact with the community that you've created here. Speaking of, 
Are you guys planning some sort of reunion, like going to a horror convention together as a group or something like that? I'd love to be a part of it. Now, Juan, this is awesome. I actually do have ambitions to do something along these lines, like a big meetup. And I tell you, when I was um, hosting Horror Metropolis, I got the crazy idea of doing one of these giant zombie runs and trying to get people to, com- you know, to congregate in a a centralized city, which for podcast listeners all over the country and all over the world, like, you know, you really can't pick a centralized location. But at the time we had Horror Palace going, I was looking at Atlanta because I heard that there was really good food there. They had a lot of good places to eat. And it seemed like a lot of our hosts on, you know, Horror Palace were kind of not too far from Atlanta. So, I actually considered doing that, and my family lives back east, so heck yeah. I also, once again, I want to go to Ron Martin's bowling alley there in Indiana, so honestly, I'm looking at one of those two things, Um, you know, maybe not in 2014, but maybe in 2015. I, I think we need to get, you know, keep building the show, get a bigger listenership, because with a meetup, it's really hard for people to get there, and unless we have like a bigger listenership, you know, it's 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 not going to be worth, I don't want to say it's not going to be worth it, because honestly, it would be worth to just meet one of you guys. But I mean, it'd be more fun if we could accumulate more people. So I don't know if you guys are up for a zombie run. But even if you don't do the zombie run, we could still go out and eat and watch movies or something. So I think that would be a blast. So the answer is yes, a meetup could happen later in 2014. Probably not, but I'm aiming to have the audience and the logistics all in place to do it in 2015. But, you know, those things are tough to get together. But we will keep you posted for sure, and we'd give you plenty of notice, of course. Now, if that bowling alley in Canada were still open, then I'd say let's meet up there, but maybe Ron Martin can host us. <laughs> And seriously, though, I do want to get everything in order with our t-shirts as well, especially before we go to a horror convention or something like that. And speaking of the t-shirts, that leads me to my next question here. Sean emailed and asked, Hey guys, I love the podcast and I love the t-shirt idea. The problem is I'm not an iTunes user and I don't want to download it just to leave a review. I use a podcast app on my Android device, so I never have any use cases for iTunes. I would love to get one of those t-shirts, though. Will you accept cities from us, non-iTunes users? And he leaves a city there, and he said, I'm only about halfway through the eight-hour episode, so forgive me if somebody else has already brought this up. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Now, I just want you to know, Sean, I already added your city. So thank you for um, writing and asking about that. That's just fine. We actually need a lot more places, you guys. You know, And that's what's been, I guess holding me up on the t-shirt. I don't want to just have like 20 places on the back. I'd like to have a good number. So if you are a regular commentator, if you regularly contribute, of course, we love the iTunes reviews. Like I said, that's how you can help us most. But just email me your city. Just write horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and just tell me what your city is. And I'll put it on there. Um, Thus far, just so people know, we've got Salt Lake City, Utah, Provo, Utah, Perky Omenville, PA, Cedar City, Utah, Las Vegas, Nevada, Washington, D.C., London, England, Spring Hill, Florida, East Rochester, New York, Camarillo, California, maybe pronounced Camarillo, 
Membrus, New Mexico, Tucson, Arizona, Bloomington, Indiana, Portland, Oregon, and Reston, Virginia. One more thing on this, check out Juan's mini reviews, you guys, in the episode comments there for number 16. He leaves reviews of horror movies, and we've actually had people, like David, for example, who have commented that they've enjoyed his reviews. And so I always know I'm curious to see what Juan's take is. So thanks for writing those. And seriously, everybody, please, you know, write us about movies and give us your ratings. Um, Just avoid spoilers if you don't mind, but, you know, throw out some mini reviews and tell us all what what you've been watching that'd be great and i also want to recognize and thank all those who've emailed us since um we've released episode 16 for example william emailed us short and sweet he said great job you guys make reviews very fun and interesting to hear keep up the great work so thank you william and levi by the way i have not forgotten that i still owe you an email as well buddy so that's on its way soon And for those who are wondering, no, the PayPal button is still not up there yet because I'm lame (laughs) and I suck. But Cal Razor, just want you to know, Horror Movie Podcast is now available on the Windows Phone Store. All right, well, I think that just about wraps up episode 17 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening and we hope you've enjoyed this show. First and foremost, we want to thank our guest host tonight, One Sick Puppy of the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. It's always fun to have him on the show. And we love your comments. We like hearing from you guys, too, and having you on the show as well. And so you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789. Or you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode or for any episode for that matter. And you can find all of our shows for Horror Movie Podcast as well as our two precursor shows, the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis. They are all found there at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. Subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song, except right now we're actually playing the Gutterball theme there but you can find more of fred's music at frederickingram.com i've linked it in the show notes for you you can find wolfman josh with me over on movie podcast weekly and we fight it seems like even more often and even worse on that show so and josh also runs movie stream cast follow him on twitter at icarus arts and for dr shock he also podcasts on land of the creeps awesome horror podcast he runs an incredible blog at dvdinfatuation.com and he's on twitter at dvdinfatuation and all this is going to be linked in our show notes for episode 17 so if you get a chance please leave us a review on itunes or just call and leave a voicemail we'd love to hear from you and please help spread the word about horror movie podcast and i think that's it for episode 17 we thank you for listening And join us again in two weeks for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.